Show me a man or woman alone, and I'll show you a saint. Give me two, and I'll fall in love. Give me three, they'll create a charming little thing called society. It's true. You need a society to build buildings and golf courses and towns and steeples and create the internet. Everything else. The other stuff society gives you, let's think about that, East Texas. Outcast, prejudice, competition. You can keep the rest of that crap for yourself. And you don't feel the slightest obligation to get things back up and running? Up and running is what got us here. I think it's high time we tried down and standing still. Hey everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Ben. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the CBS all-access miniseries, The Stand. This week we are covering episode three, Blank Page. I don't know why I sound so excited talking about a show this dark. (laughs) Welcome to my world. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where we get excited talking about dark and twisty things. I mean, my in, my intro is like, and I'm Ben. Like, come on. Like, this, this isn't the greatest show here we're talking about. It's that, the stand. This is this is this is the enthusiasm that we show here on Strange Indeed for our dark and twisty shows. We 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 are present with enthusiasm and excitement to talk about pandemics and the flu and people dying and the end of the world. This is what we live for. It's a, it's almost <laughs> like it's an opportunity for us to talk about real life events, but through a work of fiction, like because yeah. it's not fiction right right now, unfortunately. Oh my gosh. So as I'm laughing and chuckling along to, you know, the plight of the world right now. Well, it it maybe helps to kind of, you know, talking about this show and how a lot of it mirrors our real life. uh, Maybe it helps us kind of, you know, release a little bit of that that steam, you know, to talk about it and maybe joke about it in some ways, because um, it's harder to do that in real life because of the, the situation. True. Because it's real. I think so. it, I think it's also the excitement is also in the fact that just I love to podcast and I'm yeah. s- and I'm still even though it's we're four episodes into this already with this episode I'm still really excited with the opportunity to get the podcast with you every week since it's still kind Aww. of new. Thanks. So, Same, um, buddy. That's where that's where a lot of that excitement comes into. Uh plus not to mention the fact that I, I don't know how some of the listeners felt. I really liked this episode. I did too. Okay, I'm yeah. I'm glad. Because yeah, I mean, well, what are your general thoughts about the episode? Without I, going too deep into your points, do you want to talk about that? I I looked, you know, I tend to after I watch the episode, like this is an episode I watched three times rather than two, like I did before. We talked about this before. The first time I watch as a fan, and then the second time I go into analytical, and mm-hmm. I felt like my analytical dive was even deeper this time than before and i i ended up going back and rewatching a third time as a fan again like my my third watch was at a fan like i turned the analytical off mm-hmm. and i went back and i rewatched it as a fan because i actually again i really did enjoy this episode we got some great new characters to the story um new to somebody who might never seen or not familiar with the story 
Mm-hmm. And new to this iteration of the story, but not new to in the sense that we don't know who these characters are. Right. Um, but, you know, this is just one of those episodes that just I, I don't know what it is about this episode. I know one reason why I love this episode as much <laughs> as I did. And we'll we'll get to that when we when we start talking about our top three. Uh, but, yeah, I I was just for some reason I. I think it's because anytime I watch a new series of of any kind, whether it's something I'm familiar with or not, I always give it three episodes. Mm-hmm. And if if by the third episode I'm not sold on the series, I usually tend to stop watching. Right. And with this one, this was the third episode, and by the end of this episode, all maybe fear I had of this of of being afraid to continue to watch this series or any fears I had about the series being horrible kind of went away by the end of this episode. And I was oh, com- good. and I was comfortable with the format and everything this series has given us so far to the point where I was comfortable and committed that even if we weren't podcasting about it, I would be watching this to episode nine. Same. I would be watching this to the end. Same. Yeah. Well, that's really good to hear. I have, you know, similar thoughts. I wasn't quite sure. I mean, I I feel like I've enjoyed the first couple of episodes, you know, and I'm like, just kind of waiting the waters. Where where are they taking us? You know, trying to keep myself open mm-hmm. to to how they're wanting to tell the story. I mean, we've said again, and I'm not going to harp on it too much. We have not read the book, but we did you know we are fans of the 94 version of the miniseries so we we at least know the story and understand the story and kind of know kind of what to expect for the most part i know there's gonna be a few changes um but but kind of open to the fact of how these creators and these showrunners want to tell that story you know they're going to have a few differences or they might you know add things that what that were not in the 94 version so this episode for me definitely kind of helped you know solidify that a little bit for me too like okay now I'm feeling more confident that, for me anyway, um, I'm feeling pretty good about the rest of the the, the series so far, and, yeah. and looking forward to the you know next few episodes and really you know I mean I know that we'd be watching it weekly regardless if it was on like a Netflix you know or something like that where you know people could binge it, um, but it, it definitely makes me look forward to all the the next episodes. And and I and I think you know when you look at the 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 episode titles you know, this week being blank page and we knew where that was going to relate when it came to the characters that were introduced to in this mm-hmm. episode this isn't one of my top three points so it's a point that I can make now I kind of feel like blank page is a metaphor for this series itself in that. No Stephen King iteration is ever 100% accurate to the novel itself. Nothing nothing has come close to being (laughs) 100% accurate. So all the naysayers and the critics out there that are saying that are, you know, complaining about all the changes that the series is making in regards to you know the 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 novel and the source material where have you been when it comes to adapted properties of Stephen King? Like yeah. it, it's been this way since the beginning. Has, have we ever had a true, you know, book to either TV show or movie adaptation 
from yeah, something it, that Stephen King has created. We never have, and I can almost guarantee you, never will. Never will. Never will. <laughs> no. So Blank Page is almost, in a sense, the writers of this series saying, these are our Blank Pages to tell this story. We're giving you our adaptation mm-hmm. of this story. We're giving it to you in a way that we see, not in the way that Stephen saw. Right. So I, I think Blank Page is also a metaphor for this series and the, and the way this story is being told. They're telling this story in their own way. And at this point, it works. For me, it works. Well, and knowing that Stephen King was involved with this series, and he's not always involved when you know people decide to do either a movie or TV show adaptation of one of his books. You know, he's usually you know very, and I think Pake and I might have talked about it whenever we covered Doctor Sleep several weeks ago. Was that you know he, he's you know if if, if the uh, writer or director or whomever it is that approaches him, they're like, hey, we want to do this, and you know, do you have thoughts or do you want to be involved? And he's usually like, you know what. The book is mine. the The movie is yours. You you kind of he just he's usually kind of stand off about it, and he just kind of allows them to take it and run with it. And he doesn't always approve. He doesn't always like it. Um, but this, I feel, he's had more involvement. I mean, he even wrote that ninth episode that we're so yeah. You know, he wrote his eagerly, coda. Yeah, so we're eager, eagerly anticipating that. And then, of course, like this episode was co written by his, one of his sons, Owen King. You know, I think that's kind of says something too. So there's there's involvement here with Stephen King and his family uh, in this, and I feel like you know he he didn't necessarily have to give them the green light as far as each episode. He wasn't like yes, I approve or no, or, you know, no, I don't. But I think he was involved enough that if he gives his blessing and he's signing off on it, to me, that's enough for me. Yeah. You know, I'm like, that. he's, he is master. He is, you know, he is, I, I bow to the altar of Stephen King. So adaptation if it's good enough for him, it's good for me. Adaptations with changes can still be successful. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the biggest ones, it's not a Stephen King adaptation, and not to get too far off the topic, but Jurassic Park. I mean, the, the first novel of Jurassic Park written by Michael Crichton was a bestseller. The book or the movie has so many changes from the book. But look at what a masterpiece the movie turned out to be. Right. Adaptations that make changes. I mean, they're called adaptations for a reason. Mm -hmm. The word adapt is part of that word. They are adapting that story to what makes sense. Adaptations doesn't mean copying. It means you're you're going to make changes because it has to adapt to the new medium that it is on. So you're taking a novel like The Stand, you're adapting it for television, which means it has to adapt to television, meaning changes have to be made. Yeah. And and I'm, again, third episode, I'm all in now, and, and not as if I wasn't already. <laughs> it would have been a big difference if I wasn't, because I would have done these next six episodes of bitching and moaning the <laughs> entire say, time. You, you can't go quitting on me, so you're watching it whether you like it or not, but you I don't mean, have to like it. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I'm in on this series, but if I see something I don't like, mm-hmm. I'm going to bring it up. There's of already course. something in this episode that I'm not a fan of. Oh, that's okay. And we I'm don't... going to bring it up. Yeah, I mean, just because we enjoy, you know, the the series so far in the episodes, we may not love everything, and that's okay. We can talk yeah. about that. You can still enjoy it as a whole, but kind of nitpick on other things or, you know, 
whatever might be happening. So exactly, so yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm I'm having a good time with it so far, and this was a really good episode for me too. So I'm I'm excited to hear your points, and I'm really excited to hear what you didn't like. Um, it's not so. a it's not a major thing. <laughs> Just it's, one little thing that kind of needles it's you a little bit. <laughs> one little thing. It's Whoopi Goldberg cannot pass as 106 years old. That's it. That's the one thing that really, like I, and it's weird for me to say this because. I was a fan of Whoopi being cast as Mother Abigail. I don't buy her as 106. I really? don't buy her as 106 years old at all. What did you buy? And I and I and her name just passes through my head, and I cannot think of it. But the actress that played Mother Abigail in the 94 Ruby, series, Ruby Lee. Okay, yeah. yes. I, Do you think I, she passed for 106? Yes, I, don't I think bought. She did. I bought her more as really? 106 years old than I do Whoopi. I mean, granted, Whoopi looks like a pretty good 106 year old in in this in this series. I, I wonder if they could have done, you know, I feel like there's some, you know, decent makeup effects that can age a person without looking overdone. I mean, hell, I've got this face mask and, and Ruby D, not Ruby there. Lee. Sorry, had to correct myself. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay. There's a face mask that I use. It's called the zombie face mask. And I tell you what, you put that thing on and I look 106. It's got this thing where it like cr- crackles your face. It dries it dries it out. It looks, you know, it looks super crackly and it looks like you have zombie skin. So they could have used something like that, um, you know, to help maybe age her up just a little bit. Um, she does look like a very young 106. She lo- If she's supposed to be 106, she looks fantastic for her age. Seriously. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I'm the same way. Like, I, like... If I shave my beard down to a goatee and, you know, take my hat off with my with my shaved head, I look I could pass for like mid 30, mid to late 30s with my beard and glasses. I look like I'm in my mid 40s. Like there's a big (laughs) difference that just certain characteristics can make. But for some reason, like watching this episode, because we got more Mother Abigail this Mm -hmm. episode, I uh, there was a part of me that's just like, no, I'm not buying it. Like I'm not buying 106. And I think that maybe it wasn't as noticeable in other episodes because we've seen her in like pretty dim lights. Like mm-hmm. it's in dream sequences. It's been kind of dark and in shady rooms where you don't see her that clearly. But in the scene where she's at the bedside of that, um, the new fella that, that drops in town, and I know we'll talk about that more in depth, but mm-hmm. she she's... You know, they they show more close-ups of her face. She's more in daylight, so there's, you know, daylight on her face. And I think that's kind of what did it for me, too, was this episode. I was like, oh, wow. She really does not look like she should be playing 106 year They should have done a little something, you know, to kind of age her up just a little bit. Yeah. Um, but she's got the rest of it down. She's doing the really slow kind of, you know, walking with the cane and having someone help her walk around and stuff. She, she's got the movement down, and I think her voice is down, but, um, she, yeah, her face is... Yeah, with the, with the exception of the look, uh, you know, of her age. And, and when I say look, I, it's just the age thing. Like, I'm not even talking about the wardrobe or anything else yeah, or the hair. Yeah. I have no issues with her playing Mother Abigail. I'm actually really happy with the portrayal she's given us. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just not buying the age. Yeah, it's and a that's little a, hard. It's a nitpick. That's really all it is. It's <laughs> not. Right. A, it's and not it's a affecting me. It's a yeah. small one. It's not affecting me. Continuing to watch. She. I don't buy her as 106. Never watching the rest of the series. Like it's. I, it's, <laughs> it's not that at all. I just for some reason I not need dying to just. On that hill. 
I just need to get wrap my head around more like, okay, she's supposed to be 106. Yeah, well, there's some things that, that we're able to look, you know, overlook and overcome. And, and especially if, you know, you're familiar with the book character and, and the characteristics that are um, described in the book don't quite meet what they are in, you know, when someone does do an adaptation and you actually see, like you have that, you hear, you, you read the description, you kind of have that image in your head and then they cast someone and, you're, and it, you know, maybe the hair color's off or, mm-hmm. you know, something's different. And it really, you know, sometimes it's hard to, to get past that. Um, but, you know, yeah, this is, this is something small that yeah you can uh, look at. Absolutely. Yeah. We she does get- a good job. We should get into our top three. We're about we fifteen get, minutes. Definitely, definitely get into our top three. We're we're fifteen minutes in and we haven't even touched our top three yet. I know. And we 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 talk just <laughs> so much. Um, I don't know how we ever get through through just the amount of time that we do. So, um, what's your what's your number three? I'm going to start very simple with my top three. It is one of my favorite things of this episode. I could have made this number one, but I'm making it number three so that you can't take it first. <laughs> My number three is Greg fucking Kinnear and Kojak. <laughs> that is my number three. Oh, okay. All right. So then that works out. I you get it first. I let me just say there are definitely some changes. Um, you know, when Stu first meets Franny and Harold um, in in both in the novel and in the ninety four, he has already met Glenn. He has already met Kojak, and he ends up joining them in their trek to to Colorado. It's a little differently this time in that yes. he doesn't meet them until after after he had already met Franny and Stu and sent them, and they went on their way. Right. But let me tell you, watching this episode the first time as a fan. I, we already knew because we've talked about it. We already knew that Greg Kinnear was coming in as Glenn. Mm-hmm. So when I'm watching this episode and I see that golden retriever, which thank you for keeping it a golden yes, retriever. Thank like, you. That yeah. that warmed my heart so much. Seeing the golden golden retriever running at Stu, my heart kind of skipped a minute. And then I heard Kojak and I'm like, <gasps> like, yes, like this is what I've been waiting for. And then we see, you know, Greg Kinnear pop up and he is so delightful in just the first time that we're introduced to him. His first line is like, like he, he doesn't bite. He's not an angry dog. So please don't shoot him while you're at it. Don't shoot me. Like, and I'm paraphrasing that, but like yeah, it's yeah. it is his first line already has me chuckling. Like yes, and the dynamic that we see between him and Stu as we progress forward with him like taking hits from the vape pipe, um, the whole caviar with potato chips, like it's just so lighthearted and delightful. And Greg Kinnear is already an adored actor. Like to see him play this role, like I, this was my absolute favorite part of this episode was meeting Greg Kinnear as Glenn. One hundred percent, and and maybe that's why, you know, this was definitely an especially uh, maybe endearing episode uh, for, for both of us because it it really he really brought something special to to the role, uh, mm-hmm. and and I and I think that's. I, I shouldn't have had the expectation because I feel like sometimes I get let down, but I'm like, no way. Greg Kinnear is going to bring it and he's going to be great. He never lets me down. I, I love 
everything I've seen him in. And he, he's never disappointed me. And I'm like you. I saw saw the dog come running at Stu. And I was like, oh, yeah, baby. Uh, I know what's coming. And he did not disappoint. He had me right from the moment he got on screen. He, he just, I love what he brings to the show and the depth that he has. I mean, Greg Kinnear, maybe on some of the roles, if you haven't seen some of his other works, you know, you, you maybe wouldn't give him much credit for, you know, how how he can be. You know, and and the places he can go as a, as an actor, and he definitely brings it to this show. He definitely had a great depth, and that conversation that he and Stu had, you know, a- after they have dinner, and they're talking about you know about society, and you know, should we rebuild? You know, is that what we really want to do? And if we do, then do we really want to do it the way that we did before? I mean, he had a great point. You know, mm-hmm. that's how we got here. You know, that's how we got to this point. This, you know, this virus was man-made, you know, and made by the government and it got out and killed like 99% of the population. Is that really what we want to to turn around and repeat that? Should we not learn from that? And so I love um, the intellect that he brings. And I think Greg Kinnear, he's a really smart guy, um, you know, himself as a person, not just um, as the character that he's playing. So I think he really gets to show that in this role. And, and I, I just loved it. And I, I think he, he brings a really great perspective to the show and to the cast and really rounds out our cast of characters. Yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting more of Glenn Bateman and, and seeing what Greg Kinnear is going to do with, with that character. Um, I'm, I'm already sold just in the little bit that we saw. Mm-hmm. in this episode so i'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what we're going to get in the future as well i do too it, he, his delivery like when he's like who the hell doesn't like potato chips yeah. you know <laughs> when he talks about his how his wife didn't like potato chips and can i just say too how much i like not just liking his portrayal of the character but liking that scene mm-hmm. like in- introducing stew to caviar Yes. The, the best that Ohio has to offer. Like, it's it's like, really? Like, who equates those two together? And that's that's totally the point of why he said it that way. Is exactly. like, Ohio is not known for caviar. So, but then, you know, seeing Stu take a big heap of that caviar on a potato chip, take a bite of it hesitantly, and then been like, you know, the look on his face like, this isn't too bad. Mm-hmm. I like I felt that totally because I have never had caviar and I'm not crazy about the idea of having caviar. But in that given that situation where you haven't eaten probably that well in days, somebody offers you something you've never had an opportunity to have and probably would have never had an opportunity to have because let's face it, caviar is a more higher end it food is. product. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, if I had if I was in that same situation, probably would have done the same thing absolutely <laughs> probably would have tried it so that scene with stew trying caviar totally felt that scene absolutely felt that scene absolutely and i think that greg kinnear really brings this because i just feel every time that i see greg kinnear on screen regardless of the type of character he's playing i get this warmth from him mm-hmm. and he just exudes that to me, anyway, when he's on screen. And I think he's perfect for the Glenn Bateman role um, just because of the the natural warmth that he exudes. I just, 
I have loved Greg Kinnear forever and ever, and I, I I love everything I've seen him in. So it it I'm I'm so glad that we got him in this episode, and I like seeing him mix with the other characters as well. I, I I'm interested to see more of the conversations that they have because I think that he brings a different perspective. It was interesting to kind of hear him talk a little bit about you know when he's like, is this something that we should really be doing? You know. We should have an election. We should vote because otherwise we're just administrators. And, you know, how, how is it up to us to tell these people what to do? Yeah. And, you know, it goes into that whole debate like, well, we've been chosen and Ma- Mother Abigail chose us and this is why. And he doesn't, I don't, it, it, it's interesting because it doesn't look like he quite buys into the whole, you know, uh, will of God thing, you know. And, you know, when they're talking about, well, this is God's will and this is why. And he's just kind of like, Okay, but really, is this you know? So it's it's interesting to kind of see more of his journey when you know. I, I'm hoping we get more of that. I know that they're kind of going a different way with the storytelling, and you know, we're getting bits and pieces, and it's not you know a, a linear format. I'm I'm wondering if after this episode we'll get maybe more linear and more of a straightforward um, instead of some of the you know kind of jumping back and forth, which I'm still okay with. Mm-hmm. I'm. I'm still not upset by that or anything, but you know, I am kind of interested to see his introduction to the group and and certainly his interactions with every everything cuz I I'm like I'm I'm kind of with him a little bit, you know, as far as his perspective. Well, it's so. it's there there's two interesting things to point about that too. It, like one, you're absolutely right. He seems to be almost more like the positive naysayer, meaning yeah. I I'm going to go along with the plan because that's what we should be doing. But what if we tried it this way? Like, you know, he's the one that's providing options rather than just following along blindly, which is Mm -hmm. perfectly fine. I feel like any group should have somebody like that. Yeah. Um, You know, so he he's in many ways the voice of reason. And that's that's a great thing to be, especially in this kind of scenario. But one of the other things to, to note, too, if you're comparing the 94 to the to this one, you know, putting the book aside again because we haven't read it. And I know people are throwing shit at us already <laughs> yep. from afar. Read the book. There was somebody threw like a nice gif on the pay on the Facebook page, too, yes, about that, too. And I, I loved it. I started laughing when I saw that. But yeah, the, the dynamic between the two is that. In the 94, you're made you're given the impression that Mother Abigail brought these people together uh, to form a council, and the council was to lead everybody. This time around, we're kind of getting the impression that Mother Abigail brought these people together to lead everybody in that nobody else gets a say. It's what these five people say or what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas, again, 94, they're the people that bring everybody... T- they're the five people that are meant to bring everybody together. And in this one, they're meant to lead everybody. Right. So there's a bit of a difference there in 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 that dynamic, because, it, it, you know, in the 94, there was elections to vote on how to do everything, like restoring the power and such. And that just seemed kind of commonplace because everybody was their job of bringing everybody together was done. And until the next job that they were given, which was to go to Vegas. Mm-hmm. Now it seems like going to Vegas is ultimately what this is altogether and everybody coming together is just a side element of that if that makes sense yeah yeah i think it does okay 
So it wasn't a step-by-step process in, in as it was in the 94. This one is, you five are the ones that are supposed to come together to handle this situation. Everybody else that came along with you is just a part, is just along for the ride. Mm-hmm. That that's what sense. that's what this one makes it seem like it's more to be. And maybe that is more to the book. I, I don't know. Right. Because in the 94 series, they did kind of vote. I mean, mm-hmm. they they were chosen. They were still handpicked by Mother Abigail, but they did. You know, Stu got up there himself. He's like, you know, well, you know, we should put this to a vote. Do you guys all agree that, you know, you know, me, I'm, I'm going to be on council and then the next person and so and so. And they go down through the list and everybody, you know, kind of cheers and claps and, and agrees that, yes, we want you as our council. So I don't know if, if they'll get around that and maybe won't do that exactly. Um, you know, maybe they'll do that a little bit differently than, than that version. But yeah. And don't get me wrong. I know. Before anybody corrects me on this, I feel like I have to. I feel like I have to do this every episode. Disclosure, now. I know. Yeah, <laughs> as a disclosure, I'm fully aware that in both the book and the television series, the '94 and this one, there are other people who are being talked to by Mother Abigail other than these five. So when I say like these five are supposed to come and everybody else comes along for the ride, don't take that completely literally by what I mean. Like I, I know these people are also being led to Boulder, just like Stu and Glenn and, you know, and Tom and everybody else, except that these five have a particular larger purpose than everybody else does. Right. Some other purpose they've been called. So don't get mad at me. I I, I know what I was talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm going to, I'm just going to stop defending myself every, every I know I need I need to stop yeah yeah I need to stop and just make my point whether people like it or not no it's it's no it's totally fine but yeah I'm just like (laughs) I'm just gonna have to stop apologizing you know we've said we haven't read it we'll read it we'll read it after we'll come back around maybe we'll even do a quick little you know okay now that we've seen the 94 version we've seen the tv show version and we've read the book here's our thoughts well Um, I also feel like too like I, I think like after this week I don't even really think we need to stop make we need to keep making the point we haven't read the book. I think most people know already we haven't read the book. Yeah, yeah. And when you compare this episode to the events in the book, there are so many differences that this episode again going back to earlier points I made, this episode kind of stamp puts the stamp on it that we are different from the book. Right. If you don't accept it now, you're not going to accept it for the rest of the series. Absolutely. So I feel like going forward, we don't have to mention we haven't read the book <laughs> because this isn't a direct adaptation of the book. So we can look at this as a television series rather than a book brought to life. Right. That's a good way to put it. Good way to put so, it. So going forward, don't tell us we need to read the book. We, we know. know we need to read the book. <laughs> we have every intention on reading the book when we're done. But <laughs> just, yeah, we're actually we're actually committed now. We're actually committed now. We we've yeah, we have a couple together. people. We have a couple people involved with it to like yeah keep us motivated because they're going to read along with us and yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, a little informal book club that yep. we have going to uh, hold us accountable. So yeah, but definitely don't want to get into it now. Um, I don't want it to to blur too much um, on what we're covering here in the series. So um, well, that was a good number three, and that like I said. I, I was so excited that that was going to be the first thing that I wanted to talk about. And that was <laughs> Greg, Greg Kinnear and, and his introduction as Glenn Bateman. So I, I think I've said everything I wanted to say about that. I know, and I'm okay with sometimes if our points overlap, but is there anything else that you wanted to say? 
about that one? Uh, no, I'll just bookend it with saying Greg fucking Kinnear. That's oh, just, it's, he's, he's such a delight. Seriously. I know. Seriously. I, he's, I just, he's a delight. He is a delight. Even when he's being a bit of an ass sometimes, um, I, I, in, in I different mean, role, not him, not Greg Kinnear himself, but I mean the characters, the, character. the characters that he plays aren't always, you know, as lovely, but there's always still certain charm about him that you can't help but like, even if his I, character is. I mean, nice. if you if you really want an idea as to why we love Greg Kinnear as much as we do, I'm just going to say go watch Little Miss Sunshine and As Good As It Gets. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Th- those are two movies right there that will give you a perfect idea as to why we love Greg Kinnear as much as we do. Absolutely. Two we did, outstanding and, roles. And I love that we didn't talk about this ahead of time. We no. both just have a mutual love for Greg Kinnear that just happens to be coming out right now. <laughs> yes. I love it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> love that guy always delighted when i see him come across my screen and when i heard that he was going to be in this um just absolutely I got, over the moon i mean i was I got very excited. happy yep awesome very happy then well what is your number two so for my number two i'm actually going to still stay character based a little okay. bit here um and i want to talk a little bit about tom cullen and nick andros and the first time that they meet okay uh, this is the first introduction we're we're getting to to Tom Cullen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew it was bound to happen because there's such a lighthearted relationship between these two characters that I don't think as as much as this series differs from the book, this series would not. You can't do this series without the relationship of those two people. Right, I agree. Because they are in such a contrast of each other in that, you know, one can't speak and hear, the other speaks a lot but can't read, Mm -hmm. you know. So you have two people who shouldn't be together and who should not get along as well as they do, but end up becoming like two people that most people love more than anybody, both from the 94 series and from the novel, and I'm really hoping, I, I have no doubt we're going to get more of that yes, in this I series. Think. So I'm really looking forward to how they build on that. But I got to say, uh, the two biggest notes I have with them, with their, their meeting in this episode, um, there are two. As much as I liked Dauber, and that's what I'm going to call him because I can't remember <laughs> his actual name. Yeah, I can't either. <laughs> as much as I loved his portrayal of it in the 94 series. I am already a fan of Brad William Henke's portrayal of this. I am this. too. I think he does well. He, there's a huge difference in the way this character is portrayed between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, Dauber in the 94 portrayed him more as like a child who was trapped in an, an adult's body. Mm-hmm. Brad William portrayed it more as in like he he's not a child he's an adult he's a hard-working adult in that it in that the biggest example of that is the the speech that he gives when he meets nick right. like this is something he has memorized this is something that he knows by heart where somebody who is develop, developmentally challenged as he is, that is something that is very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. So for somebody like him to have committed this whole thing to memory means he he may not be bright, but he's committed. He is a hard worker. Right. 
so there is a huge dynamic change or shift rather in the way this character is portrayed from 94 to now and personally i'm a much again i like the 94 version Mm -hmm. i'm a much bigger fan of the way it's being portrayed now I think I agree. I think he does does a good job, and I think that he's worked really hard to be respectful. You know, because mm-hmm. of course there was debate about his casting as well, the same as there was for the role of Nick Andros, and not not you know hiring you know a deaf um, actor uh, to to play that role. And but I I think that he's I think he's being respectful enough of the role and for me it's coming across as as doing it well i don't think it's you know being you know poked at or a mockery of or a bad you know bad portrayal of someone Mm -hmm. who could could have a, a very similar condition so i'm invested and i i do like that introduction between him and nick and i do I am interested to see their journey together because they do have a really special relationship. So I'm interested to see, you know, that play out in this series as well. I think it was really, you know, it was good to see in the other version and, you know, and, and he's a, he's a beloved character. Tom Cullen is. So I'm, I'm invested so far. I think he's, I think he's doing a great job. Yeah, I, I am too. I mean, again, he is a beloved character. There are still times, even to this day, even before the, this series was even announced, that I would still jokingly say M-O-O-N, like that spells whatever. Like it's, yep. <laughs> uh, you know, I I have a friend who works in radio from when I worked in radio, and he he's a huge Stephen King fan, like loves The Stand and like loves Tom Cullen. So every once in a while when we would chat online, I would always be like, M-O-O-N, that spells like, and he loved it because he just knows <laughs> that's that's such an endearing quality of that character. Yeah. Because he is a beloved character. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm happy with that. But the other, the other thing I have to mention, I don't know how anybody else felt about this, but one of the things like I loved and hated at the same time, and when I say hated, I mean like I, I still loved it. Like I didn't hate it as in like it was, it wasn't Mother Abigail's age portrayal. It was something <laughs> like, it was Good just something, it was something I felt. And I totally get it. I don't know about anybody else, but I completely felt Nick's frustration in trying to communicate with Tom. Yes. That was portrayed so well that I totally felt it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, like I'm getting frustrated with you because you can't get through to him. That came across very well. I think they did a really good job with that. You know, um... And when he realizes, you know, when he holds up the pages, you know, giving his name and saying, you know, I'm deaf. And he's like, oh, you know, I, you know, I can't read. And he's just like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? You know, and he's just almost to the point where he's almost kind of just ignoring him where he's, you know, he walks back to the room and he, he's looking on, on you know, the, the guy in that room that he was taking care of, the guy that beat him up in the bar. And, um, you know, Tom Cullen is still just talking, 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 talking and <laughs> doesn't quite understand what's going on. And I'm like, oh, man, I again, it's like the the, the two most likely people, you know, that that have found each other. And, you know, you know, Tom says that Mother Abigail told him to find Nick and you know you're thinking you know well what's the purpose and of course i'm sure there is a purpose to that so um 
So yeah, you could definitely feel that frustration that definitely exuded. They did a good job in that yeah, scene. It, it was just portrayed so well that I was just like, yeah, I I feel it. I mean, and again, like it's a totally it's not a negative quality of of Tom Cullen. It's right. it's it's a it's actually a very endearing quality of Tom Cullen that when Nick holds up the paper that says I'm deaf and he says, "Oh, did I'm sorry, mister, did uh, did I tell you I couldn't did I mention I can't read?" And then he <laughs> goes off into the whole thing that he memorized again that yeah. he's already said two times before. Mhm. You know, but like he is determined to to let people know that he he you know that who he is that he is the he is he is challenged and but you know he is harmless right so i mean while it's a frustrating scene it's still an endearing quality it's still portraying an endearing quality of tom and i was i was just again just another part of this episode that i was such a fan of the way it was done yeah i liked it too i i liked that introduction a little bit different than what that what we saw before, but you know, I I enjoyed it. I thought they did a good job with it, and I think that yeah. they're doing a good job with with Nick as well. I think the actor is doing a good job. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree on both counts. So, what about awesome. you? You're uh, you're number two. My number two. Well, speaking of characters, uh, I'm kind of focused a little bit on on that here as well. My number two, and that's Nadine. Okay. So. You know, we, we've we been introduced to Nadine already, but now we're getting a little bit of a backstory because we know she has some secrets. You know, we were exposed to that early on. You know, we saw the necklaces she has. Uh, we, we know that all is not right when it comes to Nadine. So, <laughs> <laughs> and not just because of the actress that plays her. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I mean, yeah. I mean, look, we, we got a scene with her in a bed that she did not know. I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> Uh, I'll stop. Yeah. I'm, I'm just. I'm going to behave. Myself. I don't want to poke. Yeah, I don't want to poke fun at her because just, I actually, I actually really liked her in this episode. But I'll, I'll follow your point. Yeah, yeah I'm just going to behave myself. I said I was going to put all that aside, and I am. I'm just going to focus <laughs> on the character. So it, it was an interesting because I we didn't get it in the '94 version. The, the depth of the connection that Nadine had or has with Flag. In the stand. And I think we were missing that a little bit. I mean, I thought, I don't know, to me, that that was something I think they kind of missed a little bit. And I'm curious maybe why they didn't choose to show that in the 94 version, because I think it's kind of important. And it... it I think it's very important. Kind of, it's a big part, I think, of who Nadine is. And maybe it's because they combined the characters of Rita and Nadine in the 94 version, maybe, that maybe they didn't feel either it was necessary I'm, I'm not really sure i don't know what their their motivations are i haven't went back and and read to see if that's been out there but anyway we get her backstory a little bit and find out that from a young age she was chosen by flag and in his words according to the planchette that they were using uh with that group of girls that she was with um to be his queen I mean, that's something. And let me just say as a side note, I know I've said it multiple times on this podcast, just just say no to Ouija boards and just, <laughs> and, and planchettes to me are no different. I, I don't know that I've ever seen one quite like this before where you just have the pencil and you don't really have a board, it, you know, it kind of spells things out or, or well, draws that's, that, or something. That's exactly what a planchette board is. 
Okay. It's 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 basically the same piece as a Ouija board, except there's no there's no board. It's right. it's it's the Ouija without the board. That's basically what a planchette always has been. Interesting. I guess yeah. maybe that must be old school or something. It is. It's it's a lot older. Than, it goes back before a Ouija board. That that would make perfect sense. Um, I'm I'm myself. I'm not personally familiar with it. I'm okay with that. I don't. I just. I'm going to say just say no. Had bad experiences. Don't want to repeat that. I will run as 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 fast <laughs> as I can away from one if if I ever see one ever again. Um, but anyway, side note, n- never a good idea. So, you know, at this young age, you know, she's been chosen and then appears essentially groomed from this young age. And, you know, she's at a very vulnerable age. She looked to be, you know, maybe 12, 13 years old, maybe, you know, when this happens. And that's a very vulnerable age at that time. And then when when this happens, it makes you wonder when you see her now as an adult, you see how she's been chosen as she's been young probably been communicating with him throughout from that first contact up until the point where we meet her now where she's still, you know, communicating with him um, and, and somehow still has him in her life to an extent. It, for me, anyway, it makes me wonder how much say she has to what's really happening to her. You know, when something like that happens to you, you know, and this is, it's so creepy too, in a way that, you know, as a child, that, you know, she, she's chosen and, and groomed. This is it's just creepy. Um, but for her, this is all that she knows. And it's almost like she really doesn't have a choice in what's happening to her and the decisions that she makes uh, because mm-hmm. of how she's been groomed all her life. And so can we really fault her for what he has tasked her to do? Like, you know, it's, it's something terrible that he that Flag asks of her there at the end. You know, she she just wants to go to Vegas. She wants to leave Boulder because she says that she can't feel him there, and and she just wants to go to him. Uh, but he he's like, well, I have this task for you to do, and he wants her to to kill the the five main um, characters there that we know that are like the council there of Boulder, and then of course Mother Abigail, and so it, it you know. It's like, is she a victim? Is she, you know, like a traitor? We know she's a spy. She has never had the dreams of Mother Abigail. She's definitely there spying for Flag. Um, but can we fault her for that? I don't know. What, what What are your thoughts on Nadine? Well, it's it's very interesting, too, that you bring up the whole how cre- the creep factor of how she was chosen at such a young age. Um, because this is one thing I did do my research in comparison to the book. Mm-hmm. And, that, and I did mention this last week. It, the planchette incident actually doesn't happen in the book until Nadine is in college. She has already reached her sexual maturity. Oh. She has attempted relationships, but some outside force has always prevented those relationships from happening. Mm-hmm. And the planchette incident doesn't happen until after some relationships have already failed and she is in college. Interesting. You, you're right. The show took a different approach <laughs> in making her... A child, yeah. which now that I think about that, there is a little bit of an ick factor there. Yeah, a creepy. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I, I do agree with you in that I feel like the 94 edition, edition uh, the 94 portrayal of Nadine was missing something in that the in the backstory of how she was chosen by Randall Flagg at a, at a relatively young age, uh, how she has saved herself because of 
everything that she's gone through. And I, what I really like, going to my point I made earlier about how I actually really liked Amber Heard in this episode and mm-hmm. the portrayal of Nadine, is, you know, when you compare the 94 and you compare this one, I, there's a, again, comparing it to the the Tom Cullen portrayals of one to the other, this one I liked better because when, uh, you know, Laura San Giacomo portrayed the character in 94, she came off crazy. Yes. You know, she she was a nut job. Like, there was just something, there was some hard wiring in her head that was completely off. Mm -hmm. And, And she was kind, and she was very crazy. She came across crazy. She looked crazy. Nadine in this one seems very normal, very subdued. She's going along with everything, but she's conflicted. She's mm-hmm. incredibly conflicted. Like she was crying in the mirror when she, like that next morning before she went to the school, and she's, mm-hmm. you know, she's wearing very like school mom clothes, and she's pull, pulling her, you know, pulling her hair back, and she's wiping tears from her eyes. And it's yeah. like, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know what's in her head and exactly why she's sad or why she's crying, but I think you're right. She's very conflicted. And conflicted interests me more than crazy. Yes. Be- <laughs> because when you see somebody who's crazy, mm-hmm. you kind of already have an inc- inclination as to where the character is going to go. Mm-hmm. You know something bad is going to happen with this character. Right. But when you have conflicted, you are incredibly engaged now because now you're like, well, now I don't know what's going to happen. What is going on with this character? Where, what's what's going to happen with this character? Where is this going to go? Is she good? Is she bad? I don't know. Like, I need to keep watching. So conflicted interests me more than crazy. So I like the approach that they are taking with Nadine in this, in that they are portraying her more as conflicted. I like it too. I like it too, because it almost makes you wonder, you know, as devoted as she seems to flag as as the time that he's taken to keep her like under his thumb uh under Mm -hmm. his wing maybe um can she make a different choice will will she do different will she feel bad about what she does i mean we know you know what happened in the 94 version and i'm you know guessing it's not going to be that much different you know, in this version, but mm-hmm. you know, I agree. I, I'm going to be way more interested to see what she does when she's conflicted. I feel like it makes her uh, a, a. It's just more believable for me. I can I can yeah. buy that a lot better than what I could. And maybe that's. Um, I thought I had read somewhere that because they had combined the Nadine and Rita character in the '94 version, that was it. Rita's character and and. Again, this is more information than what I know, but I'm, I'm, I thought maybe I had read in an article that, that Rita was a little bit more unhinged in the book. And maybe that's what she was trying to come across in the 94 version because they had combined the characters. That, and that I don't think we got that portrayal from, from Heather Graham exactly because I think she played I, a more subdued Rita I think it was the opposite, actually. Was I it? think from what from when I was researching Rita last week, I think Rita came across in the television series as more confident, whereas in the novel, she was not that confident okay. because she was kind of stuck in a relationship where she was kind of dominated okay. um, by her husband, whereas the television, the, the episode that we got last week kind of portrayed it the opposite in that she probably was the more dominating one between her and her husband. 
She had her husband's gun. She was more than willing and comfortable to fire it at the birdhouse. So she was more she was a more confident portrayal than she was in the actual book. Okay. That must have been it might be something I have to add to our, our Carmody corrections corner <laughs> <laughs> next week if I find out some more information. Carmody so. corrections. I love that. <laughs> going to be our I love that our new correction segment for when people are doing this yeah but I mean like you know just you know hopping back onto Nadine for a second not physically um it's (laughs) as I was saying and I'm like oh there's a joke here I um you're right if if you're a first timer to this story well like whether you've never so if you've never seen the book never read the book never seen the 94 like this night this introduction is your first introduction to this view is your first introduction to this. You're now going to look at Nadine with a bigger curiosity than you would had you seen it in 94. Mm-hmm. Because you're absolutely right. We see that she has this this connection to Randall Flagg. But at the same time, she's very motherly to Joe. She's taking care of Joe. So that leads you to question, is she as bad as we think she might be? Yeah, she does. Can she make a change? Yeah, I mean, she doesn't seem to... To have like a bad heart or to, you know, because, yeah, she she didn't have to pick up Joe and take him along with her. She could have just left him, you mm-hmm. know, where she found him. Uh, but but she has decided to take him on. And, and, you know, and he's, you know, clearly he has something going on with him where he's he's not communicating. So that's a challenge, you know, um, for her to to take him on and to try to you know, communicate with him where he's not communicating with her, but she hasn't given up on him. She takes up for him and stands up for him. So there, there does seem to be some, some good in, in her. So I can't just write her off as like a, a, a just truly a bad person or anything like that. So I, I am intrigued. I am intrigued. And, and clearly she has some kind of like special power as well that she's been able to communicate, you know, I feel with Randall Flagg. Is that is that a special power or is that more just Randall Flagg using a better connection? I I think like, there might be a little bit of both. I mean, it could be because he has chosen her, but I think that she has something special about her. I mean, why else would he have chosen her? And so early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I think Maybe she, something about her comes out a little, you know, shines a little more brightly than others. And that's why he's, he's, he, I mean, he had to, why her out of all the millions and millions of people did he choose her? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, it's my number two. So nice. What is your number two? My number one, you mean? Oh yeah. That, because I'm, I go second. Yes. What's your number one? (laughs) (laughs) So my number one, um, and again, this is going on the point I made earlier about by this episode being fully committed to to the series. Um, I this episode, I was already a fan of it, but this episode made me an even bigger fan of this nonlinear format. Okay, and the reason why is because this nonlinear format, I've I, I've kind of been trying to pinpoint why they're they're doing it this way, and. You know, there's there's many reasons why they're doing it this way, but I'm trying. I was always been trying to put my finger on one of the biggest reasons mm-hmm. why they're doing it, other than time for character development, which I talked about in the first episode. Yep. Um, I think the biggest reason why they're doing this is because they're using this to build contrast. 
Um, hmm. Not just in points of story, but in development of characters. I mean, let talking about some of the different points of contrast, we have Nick Andros, who, when we see him five months ago, doesn't speak, doesn't talk, can see perfectly fine. Um, and when he meets Mother Abigail and speaks to Mother Abigail, says, I don't believe in God. God had people have nothing for me. Nobody cares about anything I have to offer. Mm-hmm. And then you see him in the present day and he's the right hand of Mother Abigail, yeah. fully doing everything that she believes needs to be done. That's a huge contrast in one character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at Glenn Bateman, who we're introduced to this episode. You have Glenn, who we talked about, is talks about how when when they're talking about building society back up, how maybe we shouldn't and we should just stay put and see where it is. And then when you meet him in the future, he's in the Boulder Free Zone with everybody else helping to rebuild right. community. He is there. He didn't stay behind and didn't say, nope, I'm not in this. He yeah. clearly is, is bought in at some point. I mean, these are huge contrasts in characters yeah. that I you would not get if you followed a linear progression of the story. That's because true. you would see the next step and the next step and the next step and the next step. And similarly to how I mentioned I take conflicted over crazy with Nadine, showing contrast and then introducing you, showing introducing you to the contrast and then showing you the steps as to how you got to those points from point A to point B, like showing you point A, showing you point B, and then showing you everything in between. Mm-hmm. That interests me more as a viewer. Yeah. That that keeps me coming back. Um, you know, just talking about some of the other contrasts. I mean, you have Harold and, and Franny. You know, Franny, who's kind of off on her own, who's now with Stu in the future. You have Harold, who is... Uh, Harold's a different story. Harold's not <laughs> Harold really... Harold is different. <laughs> Har- Harold's a different story. Harold's all over the place. I really... <laughs> There's there's kind of Harold goes from point A to T to F to he's he all was over. quite unhinged I thought this episode they I thought almost maybe took it just a little bit too far with him in in this yeah. one yeah I I don't know I mean and and like you I I have a sense that we're gonna get this nonlinear progression for maybe the first four or five episodes mm-hmm. as we're getting to know the characters yeah. and then they're gonna bring us to a point. In all of these back and forth, you know, timelines, they're going to bring us only so far. Mm -hmm. And then once they've made all the introductions, they're going to take us from that furthest point and go further in a linear progression. I think so, too. I think so. So, But when it comes to the character development and introducing these characters and us getting to know these characters, I, I have become I know for some people they're just not buying it. They don't like this format. Um, It's hard to follow. For me, I'm a bigger fan of it now. I, I think this is probably the best way to tell this story. I agree. I'm. It's working for me. I I understand I, I, why some don't like it, and and I won't try to convince anyone otherwise. If you don't like it, then you don't like it, and that's okay. Exactly. You don't yeah. have to, um, and you don't have to watch the show. That's okay too. Um, but I'm I'm digging it. I think it I think it fits. I think they're doing a, a good job with it. I think they're doing 
you know, a good job with what they can with only having, and I say technically eight episodes to, to tell the story because the ninth, I mean, I don't know what, we don't know what that is. That's Stephen King's coda that he, that he wrote that he's adding on. So technically they only have eight episodes. Well, I mean, really and, and we don't story that we know. And we don't know too. That coda literally could be the last 15 minutes of that last episode. Yeah. So no we clue. could still, the story could progress into the ninth episode it with the, the last 10 minutes being the coda. We, it's all possible. we know is that we're getting a coda written by Stephen King in the last episode. That is true. So I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm, I'm such, I know it's not for everybody and I apologize if it's not for you. For me, I, I feel like this is the, the best the better and best way to tell this story is this format that they're using right now because it keeps me interested in these characters more than I was when I watched the 94. I agree. I agree. I think what they did worked for that. And I think what they're doing with this works for this. You know, it was just, it was a different, different kind of thing. And, um, so yeah, I think it's interesting. I like how they're taking a different, I want to see something different. I mean, yeah. if they weren't going to do something a little bit different, then why even remake it? Exactly. I mean, just leave it exactly. alone. I think that's probably one of the reasons why they, they got this made was because they were doing something different with it. Yeah, a little bit of a fresh perspective, introducing some, you know, maybe adding some things from the book that weren't in the 94 version uh, that maybe we missed out on and, you know, some fresh eyes and a fresh perspective and doing something a little bit different. Otherwise, if, if you're not, then you shouldn't shouldn't bother with it. Yeah. So I agree. Cool. But that's that was that was pretty much it was short and to the point. Um that was my number one. So what about you? <laughs> well, my, What's your number one? My number one's gonna be kind of short too, because but it, I was very excited, um, and that's why I had it as one of my points. And and that was like towards the end there where we get Flag's message. How did I know it was gonna be Randall Flag? <laughs> did now seriously. Look, now look, are you thinking that I'm gonna get through one of these episodes without talking about Randall Flag? I mean, come on. It's it's gonna be out there. I'm gonna try and not go over the top with it. I'm I'm only to I'm only teasing. No, it's anyway. okay. I'm I'm I have to tell myself all the time, like, you need to rein it in. You need to just stop it. Um so I am trying to self edit myself here as I'm talking, but this really excited me because I mean that was kind of a freaky moment when when this guy, this this stranger as uh Stu and and Lloyd are uh you know, go, or sorry, no, it's not Lloyd. Um Oh my God! Why did I just blank on his name? It totally just left left my brain. Who are you, who are you trying to talk? Stu, Stu and Glenn. Gl- no, as they're walking. Oh, Larry. Down, Larry. Yeah. Why did yeah. I say Lloyd? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I was not thinking. I was thinking of Randall's other guy. Um, I've got to write these characters' names down because I suck at names so bad. Anyway, there are a lot of characters to remember. There's a lot of characters, and there's yeah, and this guy. I, don't I mean, remember. It's- it's not Game of Thrones level, but it's there are there's a, you know, lot. a lot of characters to remember. There are a um, lot. So, yeah, in, in, including Heck Drogan. Yeah. Who is the the driver of the Lamborghini? Exactly. Yeah. Another name that, you know, I didn't I don't know that I would have known this otherwise, but I did actually write his name down. Yeah. Names. I'm, I'm terrible with names in real life, too, not just in TV shows. But anyway, we get this this new character, unfortunately, short lived character you know, falls out of this car and the dude has been crucified. I mean, that was brutal. And that's mm-hmm. another thing that I love about, you know, they're able to do on CBS All Access and I'm not paid to say this at all, um, 
is that they're able to kind of go there a little bit with the gore and the scare because uh, I don't they couldn't quite do that on network TV at the time. You know, you had to kind of lay off of some of that. And man, if Stephen King has stuff in his books, it's it's going to be gore. I mean, he he doesn't hold back in his books. He's a horror author. Yeah, and and he's got some weird and freaky, disturbing shit in his books sometimes. So it's nice that they can take some of that and, and put it. Um, in in here, but I understand also that this wasn't necessarily you know what happened to this character. Um, I don't know exactly what happened to him in the book, but I do know that he me- he met a different end in the book. But it, you know there are crucifixions that that do happen, and you know I know that they tried to do them in the ninety four version, but they they weren't quite as what you would picture it to be. They it didn't seem as brutal as what you would picture a crucifixion to be. So I like that they went there and they showed the wounds and, and how um, bad off that he was. So when we meet him, you know, he's telling them that he's got a message for them and, you know, he says he's coming. And that was, I thought, scary in of itself. But then when we get to the end and Mother Abigail, you know, comes to him and, you know, she comes to him in a very kind way. Um, but then when she starts talking to him and he's, you know, She's like, well, what is this message? And then it changes. The whole atmosphere changes. And, you know, there's these crows that are attacking the windows and, like, killing themselves and busting up the windows. But, of course, it seems to be just something that that Heck is is seeing, not everyone else. Um, And he goes into this, you know, almost seizure-like, you know, position. And all of a sudden, it's Flag himself talking through him, which I thought was amazing. And I know – and I'm – I know that this wasn't really taken from the book. They kind of wrote this in, um, but it seems like such a Stephen King kind of thing for it to happen. So I really, really loved it. Um, So, and it was scary. I was like, whoa, what the hell's happening? I thought, you know, that was, you know, it almost was like, I was, instead of, even whenever I was in my analytical second watch, it was kind of like, oh, you know, still kind of, kind (laughs) of grabbed me because I thought it was so good. So, well, I mean, yeah, it's it's it literally is the epitome of you're going to deliver my message. Yeah. Like any other time <laughs> you get that in a story, it's like uh, you have to deliver a message for me. And it's like, OK, here's the message. Now go deliver it. And then in any other story, it would be Hex saying going there and saying, Rando Flag is coming for you. But no, this is literally you are delivering my message as in you are the messenger. Yes. It's still my message. When you get there. I'm possessing you to deliver the message myself. Yes. Which is very scary. As which is scary and badass at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it was really is. It was amazing when he he's like when he's in that position and his his back is arched and his neck is pulled way back into the pillows, but then he kind of when he brings himself forward and his head's down and he kind of almost sighs and groans at the same time, I knew immediately it was Alexander Skarsgård. Like you could hear mm-hmm. that come out of him already. He was like, oh, and then he raises his head up and his eyes are all black as coal and and he starts to speak and it's his voice coming out. Oh my god, it was absolute perfection. It's it was the and I- perfect way to deliver a message. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought this up because there is a contrast in character in this episode that I purposely left out because I wanted to see where you were going to go with your number one. And that's why I'm glad you went with Randall Flagg because (laughs) that other huge contrast in character in this episode is Randall Flagg. 
You look at what we've gotten of Randall so far, where we've mentioned he comes across as this giving, charming person. Mm-hmm. And we even get more of that in this episode, but now you can add wholesome to it because as he's talking to Nick, he's drinking a glass of milk. Thanks for, yeah, recognizing that. I was like, Randall Flagg's drinking milk right now. (laughs) He's drinking milk, which now like, okay, now he's charming and fucking wholesome. Like, like, this is like... Who would say no to this guy? Like that, like, and that's one of the things we we've pointed out as the dangerous element of Randall Flagg. Mm-hmm. And so you have these. We've we've gotten to know him in these first three episodes as this charmer, you know, almost a snake charmer in a way. And then you get this dark, dark turn of Randall Flagg, where you find out. He is leading everybody, he has slaves, and he's delivering this message that I will blow your house down. Yes. Like, it, was- it is a huge dynamic change in that, okay, this guy's not charming, he's fucking evil. Yes, that's the monster. That's yes. the monster hidden under that, you know, denim-clad, charming character that we've met so far and he and he does a good job of keeping that up too because he did not like it when nick told him no like he really wanted nick as his right hand man and when nick was like you know no thanks you could just see just a little glimmer of that come across like he was like Mm -hmm. pissed like how dare you turn me down you know especially because he wanted him so bad and to be told no, you could almost see where it was for just a flash, a quick instant, that facade of Charmer almost went away. But he he, he brought it back and, and you know, um, there he was again. But yeah, definitely a different side of Flag that we haven't seen yet um, in the series. Can I say too, as a poker player, um, that scene with, with Nick and and Randall Flag uh yeah that bothered me a little bit too um the, the only, shuffling not, of the cards <laughs> no oh, okay. not the shuffling of the cards the hands the hand that he was given which i i know is supposed to symbolize you've gotten a crappy hand in life jack 2 is a crappy hand and some people like myself would still play it just to see where it goes, which is, again, more symbolism of that. Nick is given a crappy hand, but he's still playing the cards that he's been dealt. Right. And then when he deals the flop, which is three aces, some players might stick that out. Most players are full at that point, because if anybody else on that table is holding an ace, you've automatically lost. And then the queen comes down. And now at this point, you've got nothing. You, you have absolutely nothing, because even if a jack is the next card, which it wasn't, it was a king, even if a jack is thrown as the, as, uh, on, the, on the, the, the river, if somebody has a queen or an ace, your odds are already worse mm-hmm. than they were with the flop, because now somebody needs a queen or an ace to beat you. And then it's a king. I'm just saying, as a poker player, I would have <laughs> folded at the three aces. <laughs> yeah. Three aces, I would have folded that hand. <laughs> but I but I get the symbolism. And even if I had stayed in on the three aces, when that queen came down, folded. Instantly. Folded. Yeah. My thrown my cards in. I I'm not going all in on that hand. No. no. <laughs> but I but I get I might have checked. That's as far as I would have gone. <laughs> Let's if see anybody would have bet though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if anybody would have bet, I would have folded. <laughs> um 
but again, I get the symbolism that it was representing. Right. I'm just saying as a poker player, it bothered me. Yeah. Oh, I, I like, get it. Fold, fold those cards. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Get get <laughs> other cards. Yeah. Yeah. But exactly. Yeah, you're right. It was the, the it yeah, to you had just had to focus on the symbolism and not look at that too hard because that is what Randall Flagg was kind of saying, you know. And that was definitely you were talking about contrasts and and that is kind of a part of the contrast as well that we see the contrast between um, the choices that Nick has been given to go to Mother Abigail and be at her right hand or go to Randall Flagg and be his right hand. And Randall Flagg tries to change him. You know, like, I'll give you your voice back. I'll give you your hearing back. You know, you'll keep your eyes, you know, which he doesn't yet know because he's knocked Mm -hmm. out after he gets kicked in the face, you know, that he's about to lose an eye, which I'm thinking, man, he's already down two senses. You know, he he cannot, you know, to be down one eye is is a big deal, but seems like Nick's going to adapt. But, you know, you've got Randa who's wanting to change him. And thinks that there's something to improve upon. And Mother Abigail is like, there's nothing wrong with you. We're going to work with what you have, you know, because he doesn't think that he doesn't have a voice. And Mother Abigail says the same thing. She's like, you do have a voice, you know. Mm-hmm. So there was definitely a contrast there in, in what he was it's, presented with. It's really interesting that Mother Abigail chooses someone without a voice to be her voice. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I find that so, so interesting. Um but going back to his eye, that's something obviously that that has um, differentiated from the book. He does not lose those senses. He doesn't have. He's not missing an eye in the book. He's just simply deaf and dumb. Right. Um, do you think that was a, a a result of the fight, or do you think that was a punishment for turning down Randall? Like you've already lost two senses. I'm going to take an, I'm going to take away another one. You know, or I'm going to affect another one. Because you said no. I I think it was from the fight. And it was a way of flag foreshadowing and telling Nick before he even knew uh, that he was going to lose his eye. You know, when he did his little wink. Um, I, I think it was the fight. But I, okay. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past him to, to do it as a punishment for saying no because he doesn't like to be told no so it could he i could see that he he would i don't know that i really thought about that hard but i think it was from the fight he got hit pretty hard and he got kicked in the face but i did think i was like damn he lost an eye over that so i did kind of question after you know after he woke up and seeing you know and after seeing the fight i thought man he did get beat up pretty bad but to just like lose his eye you know i I don't know. It seemed like the, the, the fight wasn't that intense that he would have. He took a boot to the face. I mean, that could have busted an eye yeah, very easily. That's true. Maybe. Yeah. And he seemed so, to be yeah. out long enough for the whole pandemic to wipe out the hospital. And he was out for the entirety of that. I mean, I know that the pandemic in, in the stand happens pretty quickly, but still. It had to be a couple of days. Yeah. Had to be a couple I of days. I would think. Yeah. So. Interesting. Can I and I, I just want to say too to wrap up this whole conversation with you know uh, with Nick. Um, Nick is a damn borderline angel. Oh my god! Uh, it's no wonder Mother Abigail chose him 
to be her, her right hand man. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely, his character. Th- this guy. He's somebody who firmly believes, as he tells Mother Abigail, nobody was ever interested in anything he had to offer. Mm-hmm. When you look at somebody who's who grew up with a mother who had to smuggle him into the country, which is part of his backstory in this, mm-hmm. you look at the fact that he's an immigrant. He doesn't have a mother anymore from the mother that smuggled him in. So he has no family. He cannot hear. He cannot see. He's beaten on. Uh, all these cards that are dealt to him, as Randall Flagg shows him, he still goes and puts a cold compress on the man who put him in the hospital. And took his damn like, eye. <laughs> and, and and beat him up. Yeah. Like, and to comfort this guy in his final moments. Like, anybody else, I, I don't know anybody out there listening, if you were given those cards, man, I would hate the world. Yeah, he has every reason in the world to be resentful. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't. Like, he's still, like, incredibly giving and caring, mm-hmm. even to complete strangers. That is borderline angelic to me. Yeah, absolutely. I When he was walking away, initially, after he saw him lying in the bed... And he he almost had like a little, you know, toss to his head like, you know, oh, I'm just I'm done with you. I'm not even going to bother with you. I'm just going to let you die. And I was like, I don't blame you, dude. I mean, <laughs> I mean, for yeah. for what he did to him, um, I, I, I would have thought any less of Nick had he just walked away and let that guy die in his hospital bed. But and then when he comes back and, you know, has that cold compress and he's trying to comfort him, I was like, oh, damn. This, this is I mean, who Nick a, is. I mean, yes. In the '94 version, we get Rob Lowe does take Ray Booth, and he unlocks his cell to to let him out. Um, you know, but even when he does that in the '94, he's very hesitant to do it. He unlocks it. He takes the step back. He does have a gun, so I mean, he's protected. Mm-hmm. But he's he's but having the gun shows that he's cautious. Right. You know, he's cautiously making these decisions. In this iteration. There's no none of that. He literally goes and get cold, gets cold water, and sits by this guy's bedside and puts a cold compress on his head to comfort him. Yeah, like that's hugely different than what we get in the '94 from Rob Lowe's iteration. And again, just really shines the character of Nick Andros. Yeah, they they took it to the next level, and I think that also has to do with because they're kind of. I don't want to say rushing, but I feel like because they're kind of doing the nonlinear format, we're trying to develop these characters and get to know them. I think that was one way that we kind of get a fast track to who Nick is. You know, um, this, this is who he is in a, in a, in a quick way to kind of tell you, you know, uh, what he's been through in his life and how he can still be this kind person with a great heart. And is, I'm sure, why Mother Abigail chose him to be her her right hand because he's just unfathomably um, kind and caring and has such a good heart. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it, it definitely made sense, and that's probably why they chose to to kind of go a little bit further with that. And they did, and they did follow Nick's story. They mm-hmm. just skipped 
a bunch. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in in the in the book and in the ninety four version, the sheriff goes and finds you know asks Nick who attacked him. He goes out and he finds him, and they get arrested. In this one, it literally skips to they've been arrested because we see Ray Booth handcuffed to to the bed. Yeah, and the sheriff is actually in the hospital room. He's dead, sitting in a chair in the background. Yep. So we do technically still meet the sheriff. Just not in the same sense that we did in the 94 yeah, version. A little bit different, yeah. He's literally just a cameo of a dead body in the background. Yep. So. That's awesome. Well, um, so that was our top three. Did you have some more notes? I do. I have a couple. Um, if you have some, we can kind of go back and forth if you want. Um, I don't know what you have as far as notes. I've covered a lot of my notes. Um, I, I've tried to throw a bunch of my notes in there as best as I could. Um, but I do still have a couple. Yeah, let's do it. Um, we do get confirmation this time around, uh, that Rita is indeed dead. Yes, we do. Uh, Larry does tell the story when he meets Nadine about how he was with somebody and she died. Um, we may still see Heather Graham though. Again, we could still see flashbacks of how. Although I don't know, because what really is there to story of tell? What really story is there to tell left of Larry between leaving New York and meeting Nadine? We got the explanation of how he's following Harold. Mm-hmm. He meets Nadine. Maybe we're not going to see her again because there might not really be any story to tell. I don't in there. know that there's anything else left to tell of Rita, so maybe not. Yeah. So, um, one of the interesting things I really liked when I watched this. Um, and it it really never stood out to me watching the 94. And maybe this is something that comes across when you read the novel. Um, but in the scene with Stu, Harold, and Franny, it really kind of comes across that uh, you kind of get a, a, a little bit of a sense if you dive really deep into that scene as to why Harold hates Stu. Mm-hmm. Because Harold sees Stu as the hero that Harold thinks he is. Oh, yeah. For sure. He is the he is the one who literally tells Nadine, the one that saved you mm-hmm. and, you know, took care of you during all this. Like, he sees Stu as the person that he wants to be and thinks that he is. Totally. So you could see why there is some hatred towards Stu oh, yeah. already. Huge, hugely jealous, Harold yeah. is. You know, I mean, he g- going so far as to call him an asshole with dimples, I mean... It, it, I love that. <laughs> couldn't be further than the truth. I mean, I thought Stu came across, and, and, and I haven't given James Marsden enough credit. I think um, both he and Greg Kinnear really shined in this episode. I mean, Greg Kinnear is always great, but it was a nice surprise to see, you know... You know that that chemistry between James Marsden and Greg Kinnear. I thought James Marsden did a really great job, and I thought he did a great job in the scene too with with Harold and and Fran. Um, but I mean, he he couldn't have been any nicer, and yeah. you know, just kind of being very, you know, you know, hey, yeah, I, I understand. Yes, I've been following you, and just trying to kind of feel you guys out because he doesn't know whether or not he can trust them either. I mean. You don't know who who you come across. I mean, it's it's like The Walking Dead. You know, you never know what kind of group you're going to come across or who you're going to come across when you're out on the road. And can you trust them? And are they going to be, you know, good people or not? So, yeah, he's kind of followed them a little bit just to kind of see, well, are they good people? You know, can I approach them safely or should I just go on my way? And 
I mean, he could be he could be nicer, and he's you know just explaining himself, and you know, yeah, Harold just he's like goes I, over I the also top. I also know that you have that gun, <laughs> like he he is he is completely open book exactly to to Harold. Like I you know I know that you have this gun, I, I know you have this. Like I and I mean and even it's still like it 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 made me laugh too when Franny introduces herself to Stu. And then Harold, like, gets all up in arms and, like, don't tell him your names. And she's like, well, why are you spray painting our names everywhere we go? I love that. If you don't want people to know who we are. I love that. I'm like, yeah, duh. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're totally sounding like an idiot right now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just, you know, he's just instantly intimidated by dimples. And apparently that comes across very well. Indeed. By the way, I don't think we've given Greg Kinnear enough credit. I don't think we've, we've praised I, I, him I enough think, in this I think episode. He must uh, have a little bit more accolades <laughs> while we're still recording to tell him how awesome we think he is. <laughs> um, so, other than my Easter eggs, the only other note I have is there um, is the scene with Larry, Joe, and Nadine at the at the stadium. Yeah. Um, in which I was checking the background for the Yankee Yanker, and we didn't get him, so that was sad. <laughs> Um, but we did get a little bit of baby. Can you dig your man? We did. Which that was great. Which I was worried we weren't going to get it, and I'm I'm kind of glad we got it. Mm-hmm. But the but there's a very interesting thing that happens in this scene, and this might just be my over analytical sense because from covering Lost for so long now, oh, yeah. I tend to get. Oh yeah, I tend to read into everything. Deep. That's okay. Yes. And there's something I'm really glad they're really diving deep with Joe because Joe is, in my research, a very important character mm-hmm. that I, when I look at everything that happens with his character and everything, how important his character is to the story, I'm actually rather disappointed in the 94 that we didn't get any of it. Like right. he's just a secondary character. But I'm really happy they're really starting to kind of dive into his character. And the guitar is very important. Mm-hmm to to joe when it comes to this character but if you look again this might be the over analytical side of me if you look at this scene it it plays out very interesting in that you have nadine and larry sitting in the seats and there's an aisle between them Mm -hmm. and joe is in the aisle you look at this as the sides that these people fall on you have nadine on one side and larry on the other we know the deep, dark parts of Nadine, mm-hmm. and we know Larry. One is good as one is evil, and Joe's riding the line. Oh, and look at where he, and look at where he goes. Yeah, when he rides the line, he goes to Larry. Mm-hmm. So it kind of is almost a foreshadowing as to where Joe is going to side when it comes to the progression of the story and his character. And I mean, that makes sense because we saw it in this episode and I think we saw it in the previous episode too. Joe doesn't quite, it feels like he doesn't trust Nadine that much. Like he, you know, she was his only option. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, he knows like he's smart enough to know that he's not going to make it on his own and he's found someone that can help take care of him. He's he's almost feral at yeah. this point. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, and so he's going to take to whoever offers him help. Right. 
Um, so he, so it's understandable that he took to Nadine because Nadine was the one that found him, mm-hmm. and Nadine was the one that rescued him. So it makes sense that he would take to her. And but it seems now he's there's loyal a little bit to her. I mean, yes, a, a little bit of a hesitant loyalty, maybe like because she was the one that found him. So because she's protected him and and was the one that found him and took him on, he is to a point loyal to her but i think also at the same time very hesitant and scared of her like when he walked in on her after she you know had her little rendezvous with randall flag mm-hmm. you, you know and you know and randall Flagg's like mind the boy and she's like what and then boom there he is and he's just like looking at her like like a deer caught in headlights yeah and when he's yeah. under the bed when they're going to the school and he's under the bed and he won't come out from underneath the bed. It's like, he just, he looks at her like he's kind of scared of her. But look at what he's also holding. Right. Yeah. He's holding the guitar. guitar. Um, there are other, there are two or three other points in this episode too, that really pinpoint that I, I'm really liking the progression they're making with Joe. The first was the guitar. Um, because when Larry offers it to him, and he plays the little lick for him, and then Joe picks it up and immediately plays it. And he says, like, I think we've got a ringer. Somebody took lessons. Mm-hmm. Joe never took lessons for, before. He yeah. was able, he knew that just by watching Larry. I, I felt so like he, he was a bit of a savant there. He is. He's yeah. a little bit of a savant. But it's also important to notice that he got the sense from Harold again when he saw Harold in the classroom. But before Harold came into the classroom, he knew where there was blood. He's, he's. He kicked a, those boxes away. Yeah, I think he's got a little something special to him too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean clearly he, he's got something. But, yeah. So, um, other than the Easter eggs that I have for this episode, that's really all my notes. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I have. Um, I don't have full Easter eggs like I would normally have. I did pull an article that kind of talks a little bit about, you know, the possibilities of this universe that we're in maybe tying to other Stephen King universes and we see this a lot um whenever we have Stephen King adaptations we see it in Stephen King books you know how we have these little ties and so I, I do have an article so if, if, we're, if we don't have any other notes or anything else with our top three I'll go into that a little bit because I do have a couple of news items and I'll just add this to like my news items since it's not exactly something I called out it's something that I got off the internet so if you don't have anything else I'll just go ahead and dive into that should I give my Easter eggs before you give the article, just in case they're the same thing? Yes. Go for your Easter eggs, because it could it um, be the same. So there is, and I'm surprised if, if you didn't see it, I'm surprised <laughs> you didn't see it, because it is very clear as day. Well, I, um, I'm, I'm just dazzled by Alexander Skarsgård. He blinds me, so. Well, well this would be a good way to miss it, because it is in, an, it is in a scene <laughs> yeah. with Randall Flagg. It, it might um, be what I have, maybe, yeah. When Heck Drogan is talking about his experiences in Las Vegas, uh, the room that they are in. Uh-huh. Did you notice the carpet? I did notice the carpet. From the, the carpet is from The Shining. The it's Shining. from the Overlook Hotel. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, the only other Easter egg I have, though, in addition to that, is there is another Shining moment in that, in that when, um, when uh, Randall Flagg possesses Heck Drogan, the the word he uses the phrase blow your house down mm-hmm. which is also another reference to the shining because it is what jack torrance says 
right before the Hiroshani moment when he's axing his way into the room. He does the whole little pig, little pig, let me in. Not by the hair of your chinny, chinny, chin, chin, chinny, chin, chin. I, I'm going to blow your house in. Ah. So it is another reference to The Shining in addition to the fact that we also saw Randall Flagg in wolf form already. Yes. We saw him as the big bad wolf already. Indeed. So, but that's it. Those are the two Easter eggs that I had. Well, that's good. That actually does kind of tie in um, to mine, actually. And so, because episode three is centered around the Boulder Free Zone, um, and we do have um, Heck show up, um, who appears to have been crucified, and we know, of course, he's been sent by Flag to deliver a message, and the message, of course, is Flag's intention to kill Mother Abigail and everyone else in the Boulder Free Zone. And as he's telling his story about how Flag came and offered everyone a chance to be on top for once, there's a moment, as you mentioned, where he's kneeling down, and then in the background we see, and it's it's very quick, it's very easy to miss if you're not really paying attention. Um, we do see the famous carpet from Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, mm-hmm. and that carpet pattern is located in the hallway outside of room 237. And, of course, this connection to The Shining seems to open Flag up to a larger um, Stephen King universe, and I think it also hints at Flag's ability to walk in multiple worlds and dimensions, as he does in The Dark Tower. Um, in the Stephen King universe, Randall Flagg goes by many different names. In The Stand, he's called a number of things, including The Walking Dude, The Hard Case, and The Dark Man. He's also called The Adversary uh, by Glenn Bateman, The Grinning Man by Tom Cullen, uh, Old Creeping Judas by Ratty Irwins in the novel. And in the Dark Tower books, he he goes by Walter O'Dim, Richard Fannin, and The Man in Black. Um, And the point being, of course, Flagg is is more than the evil man that he appears to be in The Stand. He has a long history in King's work and often considered to be King's greatest villain. And it's interesting that Mother Abigail draws everyone to Boulder, Colorado, considering the proximity it is to the Overlook Hotel and the events that take yes. place in the Shining. Yes. Didn't even think about that. Yes. The, that Holy is in, in Colorado. Yes, it is. Yep. And in fact, the Torrances are from Boulder, Colorado, and the apartment is on Arapahoe Street, which is the same street where Harold Louder's house is located in the stand. Son of a bitch. (laughs) This seems to point to the fact that there is something about Boulder that draws people to it. While the Boulder from The Shining may not be the same Boulder that's seen in The Stand, there is a distinct possibility that two realities exist very close to each other. And in this way, they're connected in the Stephen King universe and tied together by the Dark Tower at its center. And Danny Torrance may not exist in the exact dimension where the events of The Stand take place, although if he did, he'd likely be one of the survivors of the super flu. However, it's uh, likely that the Overlook Hotel exists in the same world. But that being said, a place like that has very little to do with Randall Flagg and his intention to sow um, chaos in a post-pandemic world. But there are several characters in the stand who appear to shine. And it's possible this ability has something to do with why they've survived. We were talking about that before. And there's a theory that poses that the survivors of the super flu pandemic are immune because they all have the shine. In fact, it's possible that the reason they are immune is because of that. And that would explain why everyone who survives then begins to have dreams of Mother Abigail and Randall Flagg. It would also explain why so many characters have prophetic dreams and other shine-like powers. You know, we were talking about Joe and talking about Nadine um, and, and, you know, why they... And, and, and we saw it in the 94 version, too, where they all kind of had that, like, some of them had these psychic connections to each other, like they could just feel someone, mm-hmm. you know... 
Um, and then in King's novel, several characters appear to have the shining. Stu Redman has several dreams that seem to predict the future, especially before he meets Mother Abigail. Uh, of course, Mother Abigail herself appears to shine. While she claims to have been chosen by God, she also makes the reference to the shining lamp of God, perhaps to imply that the shine comes from God. Others with shine-like abilities or moments include um, Joe or Leo and Tom Cullen. On Flag's side of things, the trash can man seems to have some form of shine, however twisted it might be. Um, the point is, it's very possible the reason this group of people survived the super flu is that they all shine a little. And if the shine exists in the universe in which the events of the stand take place, then it's also likely that the Overlook Hotel exists as well. Um, that said, Randall Flagg does not necessarily know about such things. Um, while it's possible Flagg is unaware of the Overlook, it's hard to believe he doesn't know about the shine. Um, and in fact, if the shine is responsible for the shared dreams, then Flagg is partially responsible for tapping into the collective consciousness of the human survivors to send out the message. Um, gonna go hmm. through yeah so and overall um, it doesn't seem that the shine doesn't seem to be much of a threat to Randall Flagg his intention seems set on destroying Mother Abigail and the Boulder Free Zone so that he can rule over the home, human race as he f- sees fit um, this is like some M. Night level shit here <laughs> I know I know so I thought that was really interesting and just wanted to kind of point that out because I thought, well, it's, it's, it's Easter egg-ish, but it certainly points out a lot of other interesting things as well. And, and, just, and I love the connections. I, you know, I always loved geeking out about that, Sean, and I would always love to geek out about it. And, and Paik and I, too, and we were, would cover, um, you know, um, talking about uh, Dr. Sleep and such. And anytime you get into these Stephen King adaptations, you know that there's always going to be a tie into something else in, in that world. So I just thought well, that, that was just- fun. And that's just a deeper dive, an incredibly much more deeper dive um, in what we had already said before mm-hmm. in that, you know, Randall Flagg is, is, goes by many names and many faces, tying him to the Dark Tower and such. Yeah. That article that you read basically just took what we have already said and slapped us in the face with it with <laughs> even more detail. Yeah. You know, like, like, here, like, here's your idea. Here's even more of it. Yep. Like, and, and I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. I, I was definitely drawn to that. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, this other one that I have comes from TV Insider. And this was, um, I just took a couple of uh, Q&As from uh, an interview that they did with uh, Benjamin Cavill, who's uh, one of the showrunners and co-executive producers. And they asked him what draws Nadine to flag and him to her. And he says, the discussions I had with Alex and Amber from early on was that essentially Flag has been grooming her. It's no accident that as in um, the book, he selects her when she is just on the cusp of young adulthood. She's living in a group home in our story and seems to be pretty alone and friendless. He recognizes she's somebody who can introduce him, who he can introduce himself to. And she is all of the things she is, which is intelligent and interesting. And she's going to grow into a formidable person. But he also sees in her somebody he can really sink his claws into, especially at this moment in her development, and essentially anoint her for his later use to bring his child into the world. It's a very upsetting relationship to have early on. Um, then he asks, what does Flag see in Harold? A combination of the darkness in him and potential for loyalty? And he says yes, and then he starts out with an animus against Stu that really doesn't need to be stoked by Flag. Whether Flag intervenes or not, Harold clearly regards Stu as the person who's standing in the way of his destiny, which is to spend the rest of his life with Fran. Harold's animosity towards Stu is something this opportunist, Flag can really seize upon. It doesn't take much to turn that animosity against Stu into animosity towards the entire committee or even the entire settlement of Boulder. Cool. 
Yeah. And then he says, what does Glenn Bateman represent compared to the other characters? He says, Glenn is able to vocalize a lot of ideas and questions the characters are wrestling with about the nature of human society and government and what a society should be built upon and where authority comes from. Greg and I talked a lot about wanting Glenn to feel like an intellectual, not like the way intellectuals are often portrayed on TV or in movies, where they give little indications of how smart they are by being able to quote certain passages or know what page something is on in some book. I love that. Hmm. I do so too, well. and, and and again, yeah, I can't wait to see what more Greg Kinnear brings to that character. Yeah, well, I, I really can't. And because I love Greg Kinnear so much, there's actually a little it's, bit of an interview with him from ComicBook.com, which I don't usually pull a lot of articles from, but this one um, I thought was kind of interesting, where they did an interview with Greg Kinnear, and he just says, um, he said, I read this book when I was in high school, and it's a very, very very, very, very long book. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. He said, in fact, if you want to feel good about the pandemic you're in, read Stephen King's The Stand, and it will give you a whole new perspective on <laughs> pandemics, because that kind of backdrop is the nuclear things bomb aren't that, of pandemics. <laughs> things really aren't as bad as I think they are. Right. <laughs> things could really be much worse. Yeah. And he, he goes on and he says, I, I loved Glenn when I read the book. I think it's uh, kind of the voice of Stephen King, strangely enough. I'm channeling King. He kind of has a banjo plan, you know, a dime store philosophy quality to him, this guy. I didn't know what the hell he was talking about myself as a writer, but I did like his take on everything. At the top of the show, you kind of find him already given up on society, which in a way is kind of a power position. Everybody's grappling with what they've lost, and here's a guy who kind of already checked out. And so I think he's more along for the ride, not trying to get back where we were, but just kind of study it. It's a sociology, sociological study for him. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to spit that out. And I think his eyes are open and he's learning as he goes and he's enjoying the ride as best you can in all of this. That makes me love his portrayal even more. The fact that he is playing his favorite character from the book. Yes. Like, I'm like, oh, now I love it even more that he is playing Glenn. I know. It's just perfect, wrapped in a bow. Um, I don't know if you have any other stories, but I, no, have, that's, that's, I, I have two. Yeah, that's all that I had. Just wanted to take a couple snippets, and I haven't had a lot of news um, to, to add, but had a couple of interesting ones this week. But yeah, I'm interested to hear um, if, if you have some to add. I have two other ones. Well, one is relatively quick. They're actually both pretty quick. Um, in an interview with Decider, Amber Heard had revealed that she had already been talking to the showrunner about playing the role of Nadine Cross specifically for eight to ten years hmm. before this series finally went into production. So she's been very loosely attached to this probably since they started talking about it. Well, she is drawn to dysfunctional relationships, so it makes sense. This is true. This is very, very true. Um, and then the other one I have is actually from an interview with Brad William Hankey, um, where he actually he shines a little bit of light on the Dolly Parton shirt that he was wearing. Oh, okay. In in the episode, yep. um, he's quoted as saying, "I wear this Dolly Parton shirt in episode three, and I was reading that people who get brain injuries, a way they start talking again is by singing. So I would sing this Dolly Parton song, Coat of Many Colors, because that's up where I wanted my register. So I'd sing that song and say my lines, and that's how I learned to talk, Tom. I did what people did when they have head injuries." So he wore the Dolly Parton shirt to kind of pay homage to the fact that that's part of the research he did. So, I mean, I love that because, one, it was just a fun little thing that he did. Mm -hmm. But, two, it just goes to show the amount of research he put into actually playing this character. Right. Yeah, I think I, I saw somewhere that he 
got inspiration from someone that he knows in real life. Yeah, he he mentions that. that injury. Yep. Yeah, he mentioned that in the same article. Someone that he um he grew up with and he played uh, played football with, mm-hmm. who who had a um who got a head injury and ended up becoming challenged because of it. Mm-hmm. So he tapped into personal experience too, which is which is um very humbling. Yes, it is. Those so. were great. Thanks for adding adding to that. Did you have any yeah. others or any other, anything else you want to add? No, that pretty much wraps literally everything I have on this episode. <laughs> Did we cover all those many, many pages that you have? <laughs> I mean, it's. I, I mean, the only other thing I can say is I, I, I think we could talk a little bit more about how wonderful Greg Kinnear was. In, I think we <laughs> could. I think episode. we could spend easily another hour about no, the I don't awesomeness wanna, of Greg. Kinnear. I don't want to. I don't want to piss people <laughs> off. <laughs> We could just sit here and talk about it, and then you can edit it out later. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, we have more episodes, hopefully, with Greg Kinnear that we can gush about him in the future. Right. That, that'll bring a nice balance, because people will get tired of hearing me gush about Alexander Skarsgård. So. <laughs> I've been pretty tame about Amber Heard. You have. So. I give you kudos. Kudos. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, since we are finished with that part, um, I'm really anxious to hear what our listeners have to say. So... Um, I'll take this first one here from Jeff Allen. And he says, I can't help but take issue with the changes the showrunners have made to characters. Tom Cullen is very specifically blonde in the book. And I can't believe they would cast a non-blonde in such a major role. It completely changes his character in a way that I can't possibly overlook. Because obviously the only thing I pay attention to when watching a show is the character's physical appearance. (laughs) That said, I was very happy to see that they stood up to the powerful Golden Retriever lobby when casting Kojak and properly gave the role to an Irish setter, unlike the 94 version. Oh, that was an Irish setter? I thought it was a Golden Retriever. I guess, um, (laughs) yeah. Gosh, I don't. I don't guess I paid attention either. I thought it was a retriever. I, I, I was fooled. Hmm. And I hope. I hope the first part of that is being sarcastic. I don't know Jeff uh, about being specifically blonde in the book because if you have a problem with that, um, Larry's white. <laughs> yeah, Larry's white in the, in the book. book. So I'm. I'm hoping that's sarcasm. Yeah. If it's not, I apologize. I don't know. You know, sometimes it's sometimes we get hung up on certain things. It, it might be. I don't know. Let us know, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, Laura Willie Swink finally got caught up on the stand during the holiday weekend. I agree that for viewers who are not familiar with the story, the time jumping as well as the long cast of characters may be difficult to follow. But since I read the book ages ago, I think I was like, I was 15, I saw and saw the miniseries. I don't have to focus so much on following the plot and I'm really enjoying the character building. They are doing a much better job of it in this series than the miniseries did in the 90s, though I still have a soft spot in my heart for that one. I do, too. Uh, The characters feel more real and less caricature. Dr. Ellis, Lloyd Henry, Tom Cullen, and my favorite character, Nick Andros. I love that we get to see his compassion for his abuser, as well as his temptation by Randall Flagg. Plus, we may not have yet gotten Blue Oyster Cults, don't fear the Reaper. Uh, But from Sigur Ross to Melanie to Jefferson Starship, the music in the show is killing it, no pun intended. Oh, yeah. Leave it to Laura to pick up on the music. That was a I loved that Jefferson Starship song they chose at the end. I thought it was perfect. They always pick fun songs for the end that really tie into the series. To even if it's just the loosest tie. Yes. It somehow ties in. Like last week with Brand New Key, simply because Randall Flagg handed Lloyd a key. Absolutely. 
I thought it was great. And I still, I'm holding out hope. We're getting Blue Oyster Cult at some point. You know, I'm holding I, out hope. It's we're only on the third episode, and C- CBS, if you're listening, you have time to re-edit. You have time to throw in, throw that in there. <laughs> it will make us so happy. <laughs> I mean, that is a joke, CBS. <laughs> like they're really listening to us. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I've sent know. them. I've sent them episodes to try and get cast members on. <laughs> well, that would be. Great. They might be listening. I just. I'm gonna, not even going to think about it. You know, I told you to tell me stuff like that. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get true. all twisted up with my anxiety, and I'll be a puddle of uh, just a mess. Hey, I waited till the end of the episode to tell you. <laughs> Um, The next one we have is from Sheldon Scott. Okay, I managed to catch up. I'm liking the series overall, but I don't like some of the time jumps. Is it just me or does seeing everyone at the Boulder Free Zone kind of give away some of the story? We saw Larry and Nadine uh, there before we met Rita. I found it took away from her death. As a viewer, I found we have more connection to Rita than Nadine at this point in the series. Stephen King always jumps around between characters in his books, but it never spoils any storylines. Other than that, I'm enjoying the series so far. The new cast is growing on me. And I think the storyline will improve as it moves along. Uh, Ginger Martinez. Hey there, Strange Indeed team. First time to write in, but have been listening for a couple years. I've never read the book or watched the 90s miniseries, so I'm a virgin to the stand. I like this point of view already. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have not found the time period switches to be confusing. I'm so intrigued that I've started the audiobook and will be listening, watching, and podcasting simultaneously. Love your taking conversations about the show, so this makes the stand all the more exciting for me. Thanks much. Wow, thanks, Ginger. Thanks for writing in for the first time and being a listener for a couple of years. We've only been on for a couple of years, so I consider you a long-time <laughs> listener. And, and keep sending in feedback, because I, I, would, want, I would love to hear the, the point of view of somebody who is a virgin to both the book yeah. and the original miniseries. Yeah, I think I think you're the first that we've heard from Ginger that has not had any experience at all with the stand, either from book or the miniseries. So I find that intriguing. Yeah. Lindsay Schlick says, kind of a mellow episode for me, mixed with a few high points, mostly a lot of new characters I really like. Was very excited to see Greg Kinnear, but any time a dog pops up into horror story, I spend the rest of the series very, very tense. I don't care what you do to people, but I can't handle anything with dogs. I'm with you, Lindsay. Until I see Kojak again in Boulder, I'm going to spend every episode worried for him. I also very much like the character of Nick Andros and can't wait to see more of Tom Cullen. Did try to get over my Amber Heard thing, and for a moment in the stadium when she was being kind of normal and nice to Joe, I thought, okay, maybe I can get there with her. Then we had the end score with her and Flag, and I was like, yeah, nope, can't stand her. I'll enjoy watching her assumed eventual demise. Happy New Year's <laughs> to you guys. Happy New Year's, Lindsay. <laughs> Our next one comes from Gemma Hall. Just watched it. Since I last wrote in, I was so intrigued with the stand, I started to read the book. I've reached about halfway, and I'm getting the same vibes I got from Walking Dead, and I totally love it. Anyway, I've spent a lot of chapters with Nick in the book so far, so when I saw him today, I melted a bit. He's just like I imagined, and my heart goes out to him. And Tom Cullen, bless his heart. Nick's story was slightly different at the beginning of the pandemic to the book, but I know they got so much to get through. Randall Flag, heart, uh, so creepy, but sexy creepy. Why'd I have to read this one? Um, <laughs> his possession of that guy was horrible, and now I'm worried about Mother Abigail. Damn that Nadine and creepy Harold. I hope Joe foils the plan somehow. I'm honestly loving this show slash book. It's right up my street. 
Oh, that's awesome, Gemma. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for making it awkward talking about your yeah. your sexy vibes with Randall Flagg. I promise I didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> I know <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> Don Elizabeth says, Hi, Rima and Ben. I'm not watching, but I am listening to the podcast. I've heard your first two and really liked hearing about this new version. I am an avid King reader, and The Stand is one of my all-time favorite books. It's one that I clearly remember reading years ago and getting sick like so many other people mysteriously do while falling into that world. I'm one of those people who has a hard time with movies made from books I love and with the changes that get made. Get made. Dark Tower, right? Yes, right. <laughs> I try to keep an open mind, but it's not easy for me. So while I will be hearing spoilers for when I do eventually watch the show, I don't mind at all. It will prepare me for the changes. I love the original miniseries and am interested in what happens with this remake. I hope you don't mind my tagging along. I wonder if I'm the only one who's not watching. I don't mind you tagging along at all. No, not at all. And I'm not sure if you're the only one watching. So if there's anyone else I, out there not watching and just listening to us, I, we'd love to hear from you. I think somebody last week left feedback that they weren't watching, but they were still listening. Hmm. Yeah. I can't remember who that is, but I think somebody did last week. I'll have to go back and look. But thank you, Don, for listening to us. It's humbling that you're still listening to us, even if you're not watching the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, from Maureen Favo, watched episode three, mistakenly thought Guy from Las Vegas was introduction of the kid because of fancy car. Love how they handled most of the story threads this episode. I loved Nick's relationship with Sheriff and Doctor in book, but understand streamlining plus the community's characters experienced in the book no longer exist in 2020. They would have been in a clinic, not the jail. It's a good point. Uh, the Randall Flagg scenes were amazing, even though the Las Vegas guy's possession scene not in the book, that scene was so scary. Uh, and we finally got some Mother Abigail. Keep up great work on the podcast. Thanks. I'm Tony Douglas says, The Stand is one of my favorite novels, and this time, fingers crossed, they seem to have gotten it right. What changed my mind is this brand new scene with the guy from Vegas. It was not in the book, and I loved it. It was scary, and you get a glimpse of the... Th- Things that are happening out West. Looking forward to the next episode. Nice. Uh, This next one is from Doug Fick, and I believe this is feedback from episode one. Yes. Of of the uh, of the episode and of the podcast, I'm going in blind without having read the book nor seen the original miniseries. Eh, Another version. Uh, I read some time jump complaints, but as a seasoned watcher of King adaptations, I had no problem with episode one. I enjoyed the subtlety. Sorry, I can't. I'm, I'm going to choke on that word, so Subtleties. I'm just going to skip it. <laughs> subtleties. Thank you. I, it, I'm tired. Um, I enjoyed the subtleties of the small sniffle or cough, meaning doom. Art becomes life. Life becomes art. Uh, Harold is creepy as AF, and the dichotomy of him actually wanting to help with the ulterior, well-planned motives to shag Franny is a neat plot device. When he puts his head next to her belly, when her pregnant belly, I was waiting for his brains to ooze out of his ears in jealous rage. I really liked the Dr. Ellis character and was bummed at his early exit. James Marsden is solid as ever. I see the visions. Everyone has a Close Encounters vibe. I have to say the snot factor was dialed to 11 on this one. I assume as we move forward, it will, it will be less about the virus and more about the survivors and the telekinetic supernatural aspect. All in all, uh, all in I was intrigued and looked forward to the show. Is it me or do the infected neck swelling remind you of Mama June from Honey Poo Poo? 
<laughs> See, this is why I love not reading these in advance. Uh, happy holidays to everyone in the strange indeed realm. May your days be merry and bright and all your holidays be strange indeed. That was awesome, Doug. Thank you for that one. Doug delights us every time when he, he's a, he's a long time listener and, and is a frequent contributor to feedback and he never lets me down. I, um, failed to whenever i was collating all the feedback from episode one i'm not sure how his got by me or how i overlooked it so i am so sorry doug um so i wanted to be sure to include this because i always tell everyone that if you if you write to us i will include it um so and and i so i do apologize so even though it's from a previous episode i want to make sure that um he had his feedback included um thank you doug it's it's always a joy and uh hope you had some happy holidays as well yeah, that was great. That was, again, prime example of, uh, you can tell, I don't read them in advance. No, I, I don't either. I do my best not to really look at them. You guys could be <laughs> writing just curse word after curse word or, or a bunch of gibberish, and I would never know, and that's what we're going to going to read so yeah don't don't do that because i can still edit those out yeah um yeah, but <laughs> they might not actually make it but we're gonna be reading so it. far <laughs> so far nothing has been edited out every piece of feedback we've gotten has been read or played everything so. has been read or played nothing is edited yes. so far um, they're wonderful i love them oh my gosh we've got the best guys that write in i just everyone's so great and we actually did get um a little note on twitter so i want to give a shout out to Stu campbell who wrote to us on Twitter and says, As Strange T cast, I wonder if the choice of brand new key for the end credits wasn't also a nod to Heather Graham's role in Boogie Nights, or am I really overreading things? <laughs> hey, you never know. It's it's a possibility. It could be. That was uh one of her songs, right? That she that she had in the in the movie? Yeah, I think so. so. I mean it could be. I, you know what? <sighs> I feel like nothing's left to chance. Anytime you're working with um, people who are at, at, you know, adapting Stephen King and his works, everything is kind of on purpose. So. They put a Dark Man poster in episode one for you know as a little nod to Sam Raimi. So yeah, I I wouldn't put it past the producers and the showrunners of this to have put that in there for Heather Graham. Why not? Ex- especially if this was the only episode she was going to be. That was the only episode she was going to be in. Right. Stu might be onto something. Might be. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Thanks for that, Stu. Okay, so now that moves us along to voicemails. Um, we have two this week. The first one that we have is from our good friend Greg. Show me a man or a woman alone, and I'll show you a saint. Give me two, and they'll fall in love. Give me three, and they'll invent the charming thing we call society. Give me four, and they'll build a pyramid. Give me five, and they'll make one an outcast. Give me six and they'll reinvent prejudice. Give me seven and in seven years they'll reinvent warfare. Man may have been made in the image of God, but human society was made in the image of his opposite number and is always trying to get back home. Hey, Ben and Rima, this is Greg. Uh, So this third episode, there are just a couple of, I'm sure you guys are going to cover a whole bunch of points, Um, but that was the the full quote from the book, which you guys haven't read. Um, And... Uh, just a couple of things in particular. So Tom Cullen, I wasn't super impressed with Brad William Henke as Tom Cullen. I think maybe Dauber has imprinted something on my brain and I just need to give him a little bit more time to see if I can think that he uh, would basically kind of come into that role. And the other thing was Nadine. I think, I really honestly think that uh, Laura Sanchiacomo's performance in the miniseries really kind of set Amber Heard up for failure because 
uh, Nadine in the series or in the miniseries was likable at first. And that's kind of the best, like that's one of the reasons that you grow attached to her was that she was likable. And in this, we have not seen that character become likable at all. She hasn't done anything redeeming or anything like that. So you don't really like feel for her at all. Um, anyway, so, uh, I look forward to hearing what you the other stuff that you guys, uh, heard or have in the podcast and talk to you later. Bye. Well, Greg, you jerk. Greg is keeping us honest. <laughs> Throughout. The book we should have read by now. <laughs> I know, you jerk. Still love you, Greg. He's not. <laughs> he's not cutting us any slack at all. Um, I don't know, Greg. Do you disagree with like how she chose to to take Joe along with her? I mean, I mean, maybe it doesn't redeem her, but does it really? You know, um, I don't know. I think that's one one good thing that she's kind of done is take him under her wing, and she's offered to you know be like a a, a mother to him for now while they're in the community, and she's had him along on the road and took you know taking care of him, protected him. I I think that's a little bit of a deserving of a redemption. I mean, I, but at the same time, we haven't really gotten to a point where we I don't think we feel like she needs to be deserving of redemption just yet. Um, yeah, she hasn't that, quite done anything just yet. She hasn't really done anything wrong yet to, yet. yeah, to, to deserve a redemption. Um, so I don't know. I kind of disagree with the Laura San Giacomo setting her up for failure just because I think we're getting a completely different version of this character than what we got I in agree. 94. I agree. I wasn't um, really sold on, on her version, to be honest. I just didn't love it. Um, I mean, but fair enough. I mean, everybody, you know, I, I appreciate we appreciate the feedback, Greg. It's you know, well, I, I, we just feel a little differently. That's all. Everybody's got their own thoughts, and that's okay. Everybody's allowed their different thoughts and opinions, and we can disagree. That's what and, that's what makes the world go round. And I and I just want to say um, <laughs> before it gets overlooked again, um, as Greg called him, uh, Greg called him Dauber. Uh, at the same time, um, it's 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 Bill Fagerback uh, is the actor that played Tom Cullen in the 94. So just to pay him a little bit of homage and respect, because we did like his portrayal. We, yes, we shouldn't keep calling him Dobber. I know, but damn it. He's so memorable in coach. I know he's so, wonderful in coach. He's wonderful in coach. I love that TV series. Back I mean, and, and hopefully some of what we talked about earlier about Nadine and Tom Cullen changed your mind a little bit greg on not being sold on the, the portrayals of the characters and if it didn't uh that that's fair too well and more to come there's yeah. we're still early in the series so who knows as it continues what might happen to turn folks around it may not be us could be the series yeah exactly <clears throat> all right well and of course we wouldn't have a complete strange <laughs> indeed episode if we didn't also have a voice message from our good friend steve every show's gotta have a steve Hey, Strange Indeed, this is Steve, uh, and I apologize for last week. <sighs> it was weird week. Um, anyway, I'm watching uh, the stand-up episode three, and uh, Joe, did Joe just steal Larry's guitar? I think he did. Errol, you're being kind of a dick right now. I know I'm jumping around. I'm, I'm on my second watch now, that, the whole thing about the guitar, and was it, it, the first time I watched it, but now I'm the second watch, and uh, uh, Harold just... He's acting like a dick, man. And did that other guy call him Hawk? Is this Cobra Kai or our, our, our universe is melding? 
Ohio has its own caviar. Well, they've definitely confirmed or at least ramped up the uh, supernatural otherworldliness of Flag. The fact that he was able to put that necklace around Nadine's neck when she was a kid and all the stuff uh, with the planchette. And uh, do you think they're accelerating the story a little bit maybe because they they knew people would kind of get put off by this this method of telling the story because it seems like we got introduced to a lot of characters when I mean, we get Nadine's backstory, we get Nick, we get Tom Cullen, we get Glenn. Um, we just seem to get a, a lot more uh, in this episode in the, the same amount of time that we've gotten, uh, uh, you know, a lot of other things. So uh, just a thought, but uh, yeah, um, can't wait to hear what you guys thought. Talk to you later. Um. Thanks, Steve. I don't think we got any more in this episode than we've gotten in other episodes. I think they've just taken... I think it seems like we did because they took characters we were already introduced them and intricate, in, um, and put them into these introductions of these new characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, because in episode one, we got, we got three new characters, which was Franny, um, Stu, and Harold. In episode three, in episode two, we got Larry, we got Nadine, we have Rita, and we have Lloyd. So we got four introductions in episode two, and in this one, it was Glenn and, um, why why am I blanking? (laughs) Oh, Nick and Tom. Yes. So, I mean, I don't really think it was any more than we've gotten before. So that's that's just how I see it. Well, and I know that we were introduced to Nick and Tom, and then we got backstory on Nadine. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, it, it and and we got introduced to Glenn. And even though Glenn was new, it felt it was feeling a little bit more of like an ensemble this episode. And and it for me was a lot of Glenn and Stu. You know, was big for me in this in this episode. They definitely shined. Um, thought thought they did a fantastic job. So yeah, because we we really didn't get a lot. We didn't. We barely got any. We've only scratched the surface of Tom. Yeah. Um. And we really only got a a a brief introduction to the the backstory of Nick. Hmm. Yep. Um. There's still more Nick and Tom story to tell because um we have to bring Julie into the mix. Uh, mm-hmm. at some point we still have to have, well, I was going to say we still have to have Glenn and Stu reconnect with Franny and Harold, but the way they're telling the story, that might not happen. They might not meet up until Boulder. Yeah. Maybe. Um, so, so I don't know. Um, but I mean, thinking about the cast of characters, how many others really do we have left to meet, we have Trash Can Man. Um, we have um, it. Well, it was Ralph Bretner in the '94 and in the book. It's Ray in this one. Mm-hmm. We've already met Ray, mm-hmm. but Ray is important to Nick and Tom finding their way to Boulder. So there's still that part of the story to tell. But other than that, I mean, really, how many other characters do we need introductions to? I I think at this point we've probably met at least our, a lot of our major players, um, with the exception of like Trash Can Man and and, and Julie. Julie. 
Other yeah. than that, I think from here on, we're just maybe going to get a little bit more character development and then we're going to get into the, you know, movement of the rest of the story is my guess. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe one or two more episodes of this nonlinear format, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of what we were predicting anyway. We said four or five episodes of the nine would be the nonlinear and then it'll probably move forward from Boulder on. That's that's my guess. That's my guess. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Awesome. So. Well, thank you everyone that took the time to write in to us, whether it be on Twitter, on Facebook, sending us emails, or leaving us a voice message. Uh, I, I really appreciate everyone's thoughts. Um, even if you're not really loving it or if there's things that you disagree with, I love hearing everyone's perspectives. Definitely gives me something um, new to chew on. Um, so thanks everyone for taking the time. Really appreciate you all being along for the ride. And if you're and if you're not liking it, we appreciate you sticking with it just for the sake of the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's humbling. Yeah. Um, okay, so next week we will be covering episode four, which is titled "The House of the Dead." What could that mean? I don't know. I'm guessing. I have no idea on this I one. <laughs> no, I, I have no idea. I feel like this episode title was, you know, you kind of got an, a. a, a a little bit of insight, think you know, thinking it was going to be an introduction to Nick, um, but also Mother Abigail mentioned about how this world is like a blank page, and it's kind of up to them to now write this, you know, the story. And you kind of mentioned that as well, kind of a blank page being a reference for the writers, kind of filling in, you know, their own adaptation for this story. So there was a lot around that. I have no clue what House of the Dead is, but yeah. I'm anxious to find out. My my prediction is we're we're going to further progress the Nick and Tom story. Um, they have to bring Julie into it. So I have a feeling we're probably going to see Catherine McNamara as Julie. And we haven't met him yet. And he's a very important character. I think we're going to get Ezra Miller as Trash Can Man. I cannot wait to see him. I, I think this is going to be, I think this is going to be the final introductions to the last of our characters. This is exciting. Well, so it's going to be a big one. And we're going to be nearly, nearly halfway. N- nearly. Yeah. 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 You're right. Episode four. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're almost halfway there. Yep. Which is so. which is sad because by the end of next week that means we've met the halfway mark of my time on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's always more more to come. Always more I to only come. have I only have a ten episode contract. This After is... that you, you gotta resign. <laughs> this is the first of many projects, I feel, Ben. Um first of many to come. Don't tell Pake. No, <laughs> 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 One way or another, I feel, I mean, it's it's like once we start working with, with all of our group of people that we know on projects, it's just an ongoing thing from here to there. So regardless of what it is, I'm sure that yeah. we're going to be working on other things to come. I hope so. This is fun. Absolutely. This has been a blast. Um, yeah. Well, we are really excited for you to travel to the Boulder Free Zone with us. But until then, you can follow us on Twitter at Strange TCast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Stranger TCast. You can email us at StrangerThingsCastPod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV Time app. You can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts at Podcastica.com. Go there and leave a review for Strange Indeed on Apple Podcasts. Speaking of great podcasts on Podcastica, um, House Podcastica finished their coverage of season two of Mandalorian. We have now, because Cobra Kai season three premiered on New Year's Day, 
just a few days ago, and we are covering that as well. We covered um, all three Karate Kid movies because the fourth one doesn't count, and we covered season <laughs> no <laughs> seasons one and two of Cobra Kai, and um, we jump started on uh, season three. So, would love to have everyone check that out. It is definitely something different than like what we're covering here on the stand where it's you know definitely dark and some you know disturbing things that we talk about cobra kai is definitely a fun fun ride ben i know you're also a fan of the show as well right i am i i just rewatched seasons one and two in preparation to uh to jump into season three uh which i will probably before you hear my voice again next week you'll uh, i i will have finished it um it's interesting, too, because you and I are very excited to talk about a very somber and dark piece, whereas you guys over there, um, you're very lackluster to talk about a fun piece. <laughs> really? So, are we lackluster? No, no, you're not lackluster <laughs> at all. I haven't listened to the first episode of the New House Podcasting yet because I haven't watched season three yet. I was simply just making a joke. Okay, okay. I was like, oh, gosh. I thought I was kind of <laughs> no. enthusiastic, but maybe not. Maybe I'm no, not you're, I, I haven't listened to it yet. I'm, I'm sure it's fun. I will be I, listening I to so. it as soon as I finish season three. Okay, that's that's great. And and we are doing, um, we're covering um, two episodes at a time, just for anyone who's interested and might want to listen or follow along. We're um, covering two episodes per week. So yes, the entire season is out on Netflix and you can binge it if you like. Um, but we are doing week by week and we're covering two episodes at a time. So anyway, and, we'd love to have yeah, you guys join. And I plan, I plan to binge the entire season and then go back and rewatch two at a time to follow along with uh that's awesome with the podcast a yeah. lot of people do that a lot of people do that with cobra kai and a lot of people do that with um a lot of the when we cover a netflix show some folks will go ahead and just binge it and then they'll watch it week to week with us since we walk watch week to week. i i can't let episodes sit there and not watch them i, understand. I mean I, I, i'll be completely honest with you if cbs all access had released all nine episodes of the stand i would have watched them all already oh man and then <laughs> talked about each one each week oh man it would have been too difficult to not i understand I do. I totally get it. Um, well, and you can also <laughs> check out Ben and all of his podcasts on the nextlevelnetwork.com. You got it right this week. I did. <laughs> I remembered. There are some It wasn't wrong last right. week. It was just different. It was just different. Still takes you to the same place. But yep, got yep. it right. So yeah, you can check out um, all of Ben's podcasts and all of his projects and fun things that he's got going on by checking out his website. <clears throat> yeah. Thank you for that plug course uh all right well that's our show thank you everyone for listening until next time i'm rima and i'm ben and Stu campbell is strange indeed